we have these crossroads. And you know, either way you choose, your life is going to be different. The universe doesn't exist, but God thinks it does. We have to stop consuming our culture. We have to create culture. Stupidity has a definite evolutionary function. I am all for abolishing stupidity, but before it goes, we should pay tribute to it. Hello, friends, ladies and gentlemen, explorers of the inner and outer space and something. I don't know. I didn't. <laughs> I ain't got shit. I ain't got shit. Yeah. No. I like the inner and outer space. Yeah. Explorers of inner and outer space. You weirdos, you bastards. We who shall surely be forgotten by history. Welcome to the Nonsense Bazaar. I'm Sequoia Kennedy. And I'm Willow Truman. How you doing, Willow? I'm excellent. Hell yeah. Other, you know, I'm, I'm annoyed at the world. Yeah. I am all the time. Yeah. But I'm good, too. Hell yeah. I'm, I'm much the same. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just well, how it goes. Yeah, the world kind of sucks. But tonight's going to be good. Tonight's going to be good. Dude, I'm so excited to talk about this topic. I know you are. You have been for weeks, and I'm excited to hear about I it. I fucking have been for because years, Because you dude. know what? I didn't do any looking into it. Really? Yeah. Okay. So you are going right. to be like my teacher okay. tonight. And the listener's teacher tonight. All right. Now, if you've ever hung out with me in real life, and it's been like three in the morning around a campfire, you've heard about this dude before. It's a story I have to tell. I don't know. There's something about it. Today, we are talking about a pioneer in American rocketry, a rocket engineer, crucial figure in the invention of rocket fuel. What the fuck is rocket fuel made out of? <laughs> it's a lot less fancy than you think. Oh, wow. Or at least back then. Yeah, that's we're going to get into that. This dude was an occultist, a disciple of Aleister Crowley. Okay, that's what makes him nonsense bizarre worthy. Dude, so does rocketry. Oh. I swear to God. I, I have a lot to learn about rocketry. Yeah. Yes, you do. No, this is, the, I, I'm so excited. A disciple of Aleister Crowley, one time head of the Ordo Templi Orientis. At one time, best friends with, and at a different time, uh, magical sworn enemies with L. Ron Hubbard. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Frenemies, if you will. Yeah, 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 it is. Yeah, they're frenemies. And self-described antichrist. Okay. This is a motherfucker. Edgelord. And his name is Jack Parsons. <laughs> oh my God. Jack Parsons. Now, this dude, he founded Jet Propulsion Laboratories, JPL. The people who make all the spaceships and put us on the moon. That's why he should be remembered. He was also a fucking maniac. A real, real maniac. I think you would have to be a bit of a maniac to be like, hey... Let's go to space. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially in the goddamn 1930s. Yeah. Yeah. So this dude, I, and he was a true magician as well. I think Jack Parsons' life is a tragedy and a great example of the reality of will. So and when you say magician, you're not talking about like fancy card trick. I'm talking about robes and sex magic and drugs and signing letters to Aleister Crowley, thy son. Good. Just want to make sure that's clear. Uh, we're talking spooky geometry on the floor and chalk. We're talking fucking blessing rocket tests with uh, thalamic prayers. They're both a little corny, both types of magicians. Yeah. 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 Oh, no, these guys are... It's so silly. I know. It's so goddamn silly. However, maybe it, maybe it works. Now... The, they got us into space, so. Um, and J 
Jack Parsons blew himself up in a sad and shitty accident at the age of 37, having been already relegated to the dustbin of scientific history, like most magicians. And I've been fascinated with Jack Parsons for a long, long time. In some regards, I see Jack Parsons as an inspiration, a rad motherfucker, and one of the very few people I would call personal heroes. I also see him in some regards as a jackass and a dickhead and an idiot. Well, John McAfee is one of your other personal... So. I would almost say that John McAfee was an echo of Jack Parsons. Yeah. Not, they're not similar people at all, but an echo of a mm-hmm. similar song. Yes. And both these things can be true. He can be an inspiration and he can be a jackass, a dickhead, an idiot. And Jack's story is both a cautionary tale and the story of a true magician, a man who, through both flexibility and sheer unshakable will, made the impossible possible and was instrumental in getting life itself off of the rock it had been imprisoned on for billions of years to claim its destiny among the cosmos. I mean, what a legacy to have, too. He didn't have that legacy for a long time. Because of how much of a maniac he was, he was pretty much ignored by the scientific community. Also, he wasn't a scientist. He didn't have a degree. Mm-hmm. He's like blowing shit up. Liter- literally. Yeah. Literally. Um, like, it's really not, it's not too surprising then the way that he perished. It's really not. It's a lo- just I mean, like a logical end. Well, here's the thing. So a lot of people think that there was a conspiracy, that he was assassinated for some reason. Oh, of course. Of course. And I'll say up top, I disagree, but we're going to. We're going to go through it. This is going to be a long series, uh, probably three episodes. I'm hoping to keep it to three, but we're going to spend some time with Jack. I want to get to know him. I want to get to know his friends. But yeah, I mean, we're talking like pre-World War II era into 1952 is when he died. Like, so our story is going to take place basically from, well, it's going to start in like 1914. Yeah. The start of World War I uh, to <clears throat> 1952. So this period in America that was very weird, two wars, two... Yeah. Um, the Great Depression. Early 20th century. Yeah, early 20th century, all the scientific bullshit. And also America being really freaked out by like communism and anything weird, Satanism, mm-hmm. oh, spooky people in robes and shit. I mean, and basically because Jack was such a fucking weirdo, he just never got recognized as one of the founders of JPL and yeah. Aerojet Corporation and his place. And really, Theodore von Karman, uh, who was the, he was the master splinter to the group. He was the... You know, the the professor, the mentor, dude. Theodore von Karman? Oh, yeah, he's a weird motherfucker in his own right. Ex- we'll get to him later on. You know, he said that the when asked the three most important people in the development of American rocketry, he said, first, himself. <laughs> <laughs> Second, Frank Molina, who we'll get to know, too. Uh, and third, Jack Parsons. And wow. I, Come on, man. To, you, can't, you can't put yourself first. I mean, you can. He can. But he might. I don't know. I don't know if he can. It's up for debate. It's up for debate. Yeah. Like you could totally put yourself first, but it just looks a little bad. It does. But he did a lot. Yeah. You know, Um, yeah. Jack Parsons lived a life of weirdness and always pushing the boundaries of consensus reality to the breaking point. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think on that, uh, the two the sources I'm using for this are George Pendle's book, Strange Angel. And I'm, I'm mostly leaning on that. Strangel. Strangel, yes. No. God, that's gross. <laughs> <laughs> I like how it feels in my mouth to say. Strange. It actually, yeah. Strangel. It is kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, and then there's this other book, uh, Sex and Rockets. There's, there are a couple places where these two di- books diverge. I'm leaning on Strange Angel. 
when they do diverge. Well, it's really always well. good to have a couple of different things to sort of, so that you don't yeah. just get one person's yeah, interpretation. Sex and Rockets is, I, I have some problems with it. There's a tendency on the the book, it's, it's a little sensationalized. I think there's reading into motives and relationships too much. Like, so, uh, you know, they use, it's written under a pseudonym too. And it's just like, are you really going to write a biography that your real name? I don't yes. know. And yes, he is. <laughs> she. Yeah, or yeah. she. Yeah. And there's like amongst like the occult community and shit, there's a lot of self aggrandizing and like, you know, rewriting of, slip. yeah, sort of not rewriting history, but embellishing it over, yeah. like, you know, making it a little bit more bloated and plump. Yeah. And, you know, that's not just something amongst the occult community, that's something amongst yeah. counterculture in general. Right. Or any biographical representation of anyone is usually yeah. just a little bit uh, embellished. Yeah. My only so uh, I, th I I have that problem with sex and rockets. Um, my only problem with Strange Angel is it. I don't think the dude gives enough credit to Jack's magical practice. That's my main like he sort of treats Jack's magical practice as an unfortunate consequence of Jack probably having bipolar disorder and wanting to escape from reality. An unfortunate consequence or exactly what led him to being able to do what he did. I, the two were inter, I think the two are intertwined and that's right? exactly what Jack thought. And it wasn't about really Thalema. It's and, and anyone who's into like magic and shit knows it's not like just about like the weird Crowley temple, you know, you guys aren't like you guys are weird, but it's a cool weird, like I no hate, even though like I'm not a thalamite, but y'all y'all are all right. You got some good robes, you cool. Um got some good hats. You got some great hats. You got some very great hats. <laughs> <laughs> but like that's the kind of problem I want in a biography, is like not yeah. not taking the magic serious. Like let let us weirdos, you know. Yeah, let us deal with it. You, you do you the know? good boy report. So I would highly recommend Strange Angel. It's a fucking fantastic read. It's so good. No, does that make Parsons the Strangel? Is he? He's the Strangel. Nice. Yes. He's the fucking Strangel. He sure is. Rocketman. Burning out his fuse out here alone. That's, I would love to be described as a strange angel. Yeah. That'd be a high compliment. Yeah, man. I think so. Yeah. It's pretty fucking cool. Like just angel? No, that's not accurate. Don't don't say that right. to me. I don't know. Angels. But a strange angel. Angels are fucking metal, dude. Angels yeah. are metal as shit. How weird. Billions mm -hmm. of eyes and wings and shit. But yeah, I think with that, we got a lot to get into. So let's do our tarot pull and fucking get right into it. Get into the meat of the beast, as I like to say. <laughs> I don't know. I, I like to say I that. I don't know. It's really funny, though. But I do. <laughs> I say it in a lot of episodes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we've got another meaty beast for you right here. This too. is the meatiest beast that we've had. This might so be the meatiest beast yet. I am justified and in my meat beast. Dude, this is a meaty beast. Jack Parsons. Yeah. Meaty beast. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, like, I, you know, uh, it's a tough one. There's a lot I've had to cut, and this is going to be huge anyway, and, like, there's so much here in a, in a pretty short life. A lot of plot, a lot of characters, a lot of, a lot of characters, a lot uh -huh. of stories. Shit's nuts. All right. Ooh. Three of Swords. Oh. Lord of Sorrow. Wow. Yeah. It's an intense one. 
You know, as you pulled that, it occurred to me that strangle and strangle would be spelt the same way. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Isn't that poetic? Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's, wow. Okay. Three of swords. So Crowley, Crowley's old tarot deck here wants us to go this direction with it. The three of swords. The Lord of Sorrow. Saturn in Libra. And we'll get to that at the end of this series. Saturn in fucking Libra. Wow, that's, that's, okay. There could be more nuances added to it, but we'll see. Dude, I mean, I see. I don't know. I'm thinking, I'm definitely thinking some fucking thoughts about that. Right? I don't know anything about the story yet, but oh. I, I know that that's an interesting card. It's very, very interesting. Speaking so. of Libra, Marvel Whiteside Parsons was uh, born October 2nd, 1914 at the Good Samaritan Hospital in Los Angeles. His name's Marvel. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> his, name's, his name's Marvel Parsons. Okay. Like his father before him. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Is it, has it spelled? M-A-R-V-E-L. Marvel. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, his dad was named Marvel too, but... Um, Marvel the second. Yeah. Marvel at this white side. Yeah, Marvel Whiteside Parsons. Yeah. Marvel is, uh, yeah. Wait, is Marvel a word? Yeah. yeah. You can marvel at something. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, Ruth Whiteside Parsons and Marvel Parsons the Elder had moved from Ruth's hometown of Springfield, Massachusetts, Pasadena, California, you know, right in the Los Angeles area in 1913 uh, after their first child was stillborn and they needed to get away from the cold, depressing east and go to sunny California. Must have taken a long time to get there. Um, No, they, they lived there for a bit, yeah. you know. Oh, Massachusetts to California? That's a long trip in 19... 19- oh, yeah. It'd be a couple, <laughs> couple weeks, at least, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and October 2nd, 1914, Marvel the Younger was born at the Good Samaritan Hospital in Los Angeles. And then, well, the thing is, in the months leading up to uh, Marvel the Younger's birth, Marvel the Elder, uh, Pasadena was a bit too much for him, and he started having an affair with a with a prostitute, and... Ruth didn't like that, and so she kicked him out, and there's, like, all these really fucking just hopelessly awful letters that he sent her that I'm not going to get into because that's just too wow. much. Uh, yeah, and so she 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 divorced his ass, like, you know, right that's after what, Jack was that's born. That's what hurts the most. It's, like, an affair that you're paying for. Yeah. Not even, like... You know, yeah, yeah, you yeah. In love with your coworker. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> and and this dude, like, he wrote her these letters. It's he's like, oh, it's not what it seems like. And then it went, and then it was like, it's 1914. Everybody's doing it. And then it, are they? And then he was like, just please don't say it was adultery in the divorce proceedings. She did. Yeah. And he, Marvel the Elder, fled back to Massachusetts in disgrace. Bye bye, Marvel. So Ruth just started calling the little Marvel Jack. Or John. Okay. Both. Yeah, Neither right? Neither one of which is... Oh, name. she was like, ugh, I can't want to be reminded of your father. Not at all, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so he's just not... That's what his you will get a new said. name. You will, we will call you Jack. We will not acknowledge that dirty bad man. Yeah. Jack would only ever see his father, like, once. Jeez. Uh, it was not a good time. And then Marvel the Elder, like, he lost his mind. He went crazy, ended up in a mental hospital and... Yeah. Okay, so I'll just remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About Jack's relationship with his father. Yeah. Yeah, Jack actually, um, (laughs) he wrote this, you know how magicians keep, like, magical journals and shit? Yeah. Which are 
would be the most fucking embarrassing thing. For someone to find? Yeah. Yeah, it's like someone finding your diary. But it's like... Except it's full even, of gibberish. Yeah, even They, like, think that. that you're insane. Yeah, so Jack had one of those that he titled um, Analysis of a Master of the Temple, which he wrote to himself in second person as if he was analyzing himself. And he wrote this shortly before he died. And it, everyone who's ever talked about this dude, I feel like they don't quite get that that was never supposed to be... They always call it, like, this strange, like, second-person autobiography he wrote. And it's like, no, that... That was never meant yeah. to be read by anyone, dude. That's you why know. it's that's why it's so fucking cringy. Like uh -huh. no, like come on now. Yeah, I, I used to have a journal like that where I would yeah, when I would like get mad at myself and I would write down really mean things in second person to myself. Oh, he wasn't he wasn't being mean to himself. But he was like he was analyzing himself. Right, himself that's much better than, <laughs> but like, it's still not something that is meant for anyone else. Yeah, um, does it, he said like one of the lies. Your father separated from your mother in order that you might grow up with a hatred of authority. Shit like that, you know. Yeah. Analyzing why all these things in his life happened to uh -huh. make the person that he was, the master of the temple, you know. He wasn't doing well at that time. He was writing that. I don't know. That's pretty introspective. That's a good it is. That's not a bad thing to do. He objectively wasn't doing well at the time. Yeah. But it's not a bad thing to do. Right. But it's also cringy as shit because it was never meant to be read by anybody. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. So Ruth happened to be, Jack's mom happened to be rich as a motherfucker. That's convenient. She came from a family that was super rich as a motherfucker. The white side family. Oh, okay. That's yeah. where he gets the Marvel white side. Yeah. And. Oh my God. Sorry. I just, I, the white side of his family is rich. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. That's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jack was the yeah. heir apparent to the white side fortune. Um, he would never say it. We'll get to that. But after Ruth divorced Marvel, Jack's grandparents, the super rich grandparents, left fucking Boston, moved to Pasadena. They're like, well, you know what? We're reaching retirement age. Let's go to Pasadena. Let's just chill. Be with our family. Why not? Fuck yeah. Um, they had a great time. They moved into a house on Orange Grove Avenue, which was called Millionaire's Mile. And it's this like idyllic paradise of a fucking place, right? Against this um, area called the Arroyo Seco, yeah. which means dry riverbed. And it was like this natural playground for all these people. And like Jack spent his childhood in like the most idyllic fantasy land ever. Well, that's nice. Um, you know, he was never had to worry about anything, didn't know, know how to want for anything. Mm-hmm. He was well-educated because Except he was Except for his daddy's love. Fuck that dude. Him and grandpa are launching <laughs> yeah. fucking rockets into the Arroyo Seco oh, okay. every day. Okay, so yeah. happy childhood, basically. Wicked, incredibly happy childhood. Uh, awesome. He was super into read, like books and especially King Arthur legends. Mm -hmm. All mythology in general, but King Arthur especially. And he always had this thing about a group of brothers going out and doing something heroic. The Holy Grail. The Holy Grail, yeah. You know, and he also was reading, like, Jules Verne and shit and, like, early science fiction. Uh, he had a subscription to Amazing Stories. Um, and, like, so he was obsessed so with, his like, imagination was getting honed and, like, yeah. crafted and trained yeah. and, yeah. And he was just imagining possibilities and possibilities in the storybook land in this beautiful place. And him and Grandpa were literally scraping fireworks. And a lot of kids were doing this because science fiction was so popular. Scraping, like, 
legal fireworks and building bottle rockets and, you know, turning the Arroyo Seco into a blasting range where they just pew, yeehaw, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that just sounds like so much fun. On the other hand, like, he also didn't really have any friends. He was an only child. Yeah. Without a dad. Really rich family. Uh, a weirdo. and a, a Too imaginative, like a weirdo, even from an early age. Uh-huh. And so he kind of just grew up in his head. Right. With his grandpa and mom and, like, being spoiled. And, yeah. And without, and I think this is, like, without restrictions. There was not a lot to be like, no, that's impossible. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, anything was possible because they had the money and and they he had indulging family members who would encourage his fantasies and and all this shit mm -hmm. and like he lived in pasadena i mean this is a town that like at the time like they put on a fucking shakespeare play and they hired three thousand actors to be two opposing armies for like macbeth or something three thousand three thousand that's a lot of fucking people yeah yeah L.A. was crazy uh, in the early 20th century. It was like the land of possibilities. Uh -huh. There was no there was no restrictions. And sci-fi was coming into its own, too. Mm -hmm. As we talked about with, like, Richard Shaver and all this stuff, like, sci-fi weirdly plays a big part in a lot of things. But what is it? It's dreaming about the future. It's dreaming about possibilities and shit. And, like, while Jack and other kids and all these hobbyists, like, were super into the idea of rockets and going to the moon and especially going to the moon, that was, like, what kids and science fiction fans were into. Yeah, either going to the moon or going inside of Earth or going to Mars. Yeah, and rockets. Yeah. Um, by contrast, the scientific establishment, actual scientists, thought rockets were the dumbest fucking thing anyone's ever thought of. Ever. It was not taken seriously at all. It was fucking stupid. If you were a scientist at, like trying to be into rockets, you were uh -huh. fucking stupid and you were laughed out of town. Quite literally, in the case of Robert Goddard, the, like, well, it's First like, American rocket scientist. Like, do you guys have any other ideas? Like, how they thought it was, how do you propose we get into space? They didn't. <laughs> All they, right. They didn't. So take a seat, please. No, like Robert Goddard, he was from Worcester, Massachusetts, also close to us. And he also had like a mystical connection to space travel. Mm -hmm. um, like he thought we could get there, go to that fucking rock over there. Uh, he was literally laughed out of town. When he in um, early 1900s wrote a paper about using rocketry to reach high altitude using high velocities, I don't remember the title of the paper. It was some yeah. paper, um, and they like people started writing songs about the moon rocket man and stuff like silly articles just making fun of him. He fucking eventually they after like noise complaints from launching off too many rockets, they uh, he he just packed up his shit and moved to Roswell, New Mexico. And he kept playing with rockets in Roswell and then never, ever let anyone else know about his research or anything ever again. And as such, he got left behind by the rest of the rocketeers because he just got so abused by society because he was too new. Yeah. Um, I just thought it was interesting. They just weren't ready for him yet. Interesting that he moved to Roswell to do that. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. So there's two things that have ever existed of importance in Roswell and they both have to do with space. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh but rockets had like barely improved since Chinese fire era. And it's like black powder and gum and shit. It's just explosives. Rockets are just explosives packed into a tube in such a way that it doesn't all go off at once and can shoot fire at the ass end and go in a straight line. Just sounds really dangerous. It's insanely dangerous. Yeah. It's so insane. Like you have to be willing to die to yeah. work with 
stuff like that. There's a story about this dude, one of the first people who tried to go anywhere with rockets. It was a dude in like the year 1500 in China. Uh, he strapped a bunch of rockets to his chair and he was like, I'm going to go. And so he had all the servants like light all the rockets. And then there was a big bang and a puff of smoke. And then the dude was gone because <laughs> it just blew up. Yeah, he j- <laughs> he's just gone. He was exploded into smithereens. Yeah, because like if you think about it, a rocket is just a stick of dynamite where one end isn't closed and it has, you know, foils and aerodynamics. and. Sh- is that for real how we get into space? Yeah. It's just like a bunch of explosives. Yeah. Cool. And it was Jack Parsons who invented the, who laid the foundations for the same type of explosives we still use today. No one else had figured it out in a thousand years or ever since the development of, of rockets. I should look up that. I mean, really, it's a miracle that he lived until 37. No, it honestly. Like, I, at first I'm like, wow, that's really young. But thinking about like what he was messing oh. around with, it's like, oh, really? You made it that oh, long? Oh, just wait, dude. This dude was not a careful man. Like, how How did you not explode earlier? No, that? that's that's the thing. That's there's he should have died so many times. Yeah, he did not care about safety measures at all. So yeah, uh, the first one of the first um, recorded rocket launchers is the Wasp Nest, a uh, fire arrow launcher produced by the Ming Dynasty in China in 1380. Uh huh. All right. So we had the first rockets in like 1380, but between 1380 and like the early mid 20th century, there had been like no improvements in rocketry mm-hmm. at all. There had been dreams like maybe we can use these things to go to the moon, but nothing until. Until now. But not quite yet. But not quite but yet. But not yet, yeah. because we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Okay. Where are we? Well, Jack's of that age where he has to leave his idyllic solitary home, go out and meet... Uh, people? People. Ew. Other... Other... No. Child, other children, other middle school children in a public school. Oh, God. I don't envy that. Yeah. He, um... Oh, yeah. He began attending Washington Junior High. Past, he, he was kind of chubby. Public school? Private school? Public school. Public school? But it was Pasadena, so it was like okay. rich kids and shit. <laughs> but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was kind of chubby. You know, he got fed a lot of sweets, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, he had like a negative score in social skills, which is really funny because of who he becomes later on. First day of school, dude, he shows up in his grandfather's limousine, decked out in a full wool suit. Vest. A wool suit? Yeah. A very nice suit. You know, good for him. He never lost his love for suits. How big was he that he could fit into his grandfather's suit at like 11? No, he didn't. He wasn't in his grandfather's suit. He was in his suit. Oh. Oh, it was his grandfather's limousine. Yeah, his grandfather brought him to school in a fucking limousine. This kid (laughs) gets out of there in like a fucking, you know, gray suit, vest and tie and fucking pocket watch. This chubby little shit. He's wow. carrying a copy of Amazing Stories, walking into it's, public middle school for the first, first time. It's first day of school, better yeah, dressed to the nines. Wow. He looked like the most bulliable kid in the world. He had. I like, mean, yeah, do you think all the kids didn't notice mm-hmm. the, the chubby kid that arrived in a limo who's wearing a, a wool suit? Yeah. Everybody noticed. Yeah. 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 Most bulliable kid who's ever lived. Unless you're smart, then you're like, I'm going to be friends with that kid. He also probably had undiagnosed dyslexia. Yeah. He did terrible in school Mm. uh, at the beginning. Yeah. Well, he uh, also spoke with a a Brahmin accent, which is like Massachusetts 
wealth royalty, old ass New England money. It's that like, you know, the accent. What's the it's a it's a it's a weird one. Weird rich people accent. Huh. Uh, let me see if I can pull up an example. Is it like a very snooty accent? No, not no. Quite. Okay. <laughs> Does anyone actually talk like that? Does anyone talk like this? If you've ever met anyone that talks the, like this, tell me. The, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that one. <laughs> Just me when I'm drunk. There's not a lot of people who still speak like this. It's a very old, old thing. Um, but this okay. is, yeah. What else have they got to live for? They, well, sex, probably. <laughs> well, doubtless sex. They keep that very quiet. Yeah. But I know you don't like Dickens. No, I don't it. like Dickens. Dickens. Yes, he's post <laughs> This is exactly what boring old men would talk about, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, right? she's a great novelist, but not the greatest. Not the greatest. I'm a Dickens man. Ellen. Oh, Jesus. Well, so... I'm a Dickens man. Yeah, that's the accent that Jack was talking with in his gray suit. Wow. Yeah, in public school. You know, I would have been his friend. <sighs> he would have been, been lucky. Yeah, no, he got, he got bullied all the fucking time. He got the shit kicked out of him. He mm -hmm. did not have a good time of it. One day in eighth grade, the bullying was particularly violent. Jack's tormentors started kicking the shit out of him. And then a hall monitor, two years older than Jack, saw a commotion, heard some yelling. He ran over. He saw this dude beating the shit out of this chubby suit-wearing fucking nerd, right? This hall monitor jumps on this guy, breaks his nose, you know, sends him running away, reaches down. Offers a hand to uh, to young Jack. And he says, you owe me now. Now, uh, his, that homeowner's name was Ed Foreman. And what he a would, nice guy. He would become Jack's closest, most stalwart friend and working partner until the j day Jack died. That's amazing. What a great friendship dude, origin story. Ed, Ed is the best dude. He's the fucking best, best friend in any story. God damn it. Ed, Ed Foreman, Foreman is a that, good that's dude. That's the sound of, the, that's a best friend name. It really is. It really is. My pal, Eddie. Ed would be the mechanical engineer of the team that Jack would end up forming. He was the dude who built the machines. Right. Yeah. And sort of like the hands and Jack is the brains. Jack's the heart. The heart. We haven't yet the brains yet. We will. He's there. And there it is. A, it is a triumvirate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ed would also be the only other rocketeer to dabble in Thelema. Cool. Yeah. You go, Ed. Yeah. They, the two of them, like, filled out what their personalities were lacking. Yeah. Ed toughened Jack up, made more resilient. Jack introduced Ed to mythology and heroics and fantasy and possibility. You know, uh, Ed came from a working class family. Yeah. He didn't have the same relationship with possibility that Jack had, right? Mm -hmm. Or literature or anything, you know? Ed's stepdaughter says that Ed just worshipped Jack. Worshipped the ground he stood on, you know? You know... That's how a best friend should be. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. yeah. Jack wrote in his second person autobiography that his friendship with Ed Foreman was responsible for developing Jack's male center. You know, the lacking, mm -hmm. left lacking by the absence of his father and his grandfather's death eventually. At this time, right when they're like becoming friends and sharing stories and stuff, that's when Jack, end quote, summoned the devil. He's like 12. Uh, yeah. Like... He would describe the experience later as his magical fiasco, which put him off further occult study until he was older. Um, but he also like hinted that whatever he did, something happened and it scared him completely. 
So we don't really know much more of that. Okay. Yeah. I, I wish I knew more, but alrighty. Yeah. Um, but more than any of the science fiction or weirdness or even money, it was Parsons' interest in rocketry that captivated Foreman. He loved fucking, he fucking loved goddamn rockets too. And they're like, started just, I guess his grandfather was paying for, was buying all the supplies and shit. And they just had infinite rocket yeah. supplies. So they were just stuffing fucking tubes full rocket of. Rocket supplies? Does that just mean a bunch of, um, like, oh my God, what do they call it? Fireworks? Yeah, you're going to need fireworks. Yeah, okay. You're going to need, <laughs> you're going to need fireworks. You're going to need some razor blades. You're going to need some tubes. You're going to need some, like, balsa wood from, like, balsa wood planes to put on the tubes and stuff. Then you need something to pack the rocket fuel. You take the razor blade, scrape it out of the fireworks, put it into a pile. Good way to lose a finger. According to Ed Foreman, uh, he says, It was our desire and intent to develop the ability to rocket to the moon. And uh, the pair adopted the phrase, Ad Astra per Aspera, through rough ways to the stars as their motto. They swiftly became inseparable as they drove each other on to create more complex and explosive skyrockets. Yeah, um, that's also, I mean, that's used by NASA and shit now, Mm -hmm. Ad Astra, Ad Astra per Aspera. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that, Aspera. I don't know. I'm not a lad. It doesn't matter. It's a dead language. They don't speak it anyway. It's true. Um, (laughs) It's also translated as through hardship to the stars. Uh Uh-huh. Jack was still getting the shit kicked out of him at school. (laughs) Well, <laughs> fucking hated it. He was just, At least he has Ed now. I'm just glad he has a friend now. Yeah, that no, it's really, really important. Yeah. They've got, they're scraping dynamite. Because you can survive. Well, if you have a friend, then you, you got it. Check this out. Um, Jack's mother realizes this is a problem. Ruth is like, something. Yeah, it's a problem. Dude's, dude's just, he needs to toughen up. So she sends him to military school. Oh, yeah, because, you know, no one's going to bully him there. Yeah. Um, he didn't like it. No. And, uh, he was soon kicked out of said military school for using his already capable knowledge of explosives. And as uh, Ed's wife, Jean, uh, says, and quote, he blew up the toilets in the whole goddamn place. Wow. <laughs> you know what? I might, too. Yeah. Like, fuck you. I don't want to be. He just there. started bombing toilets. So yeah. where's everybody pooping? <laughs> they ain't for a little bit. They gotta have some renovations done. Yeah, right. And after that, he returns to public school with a completely refreshed image. He was a fucking bad boy. Yeah, he's back from military. He's a fucking school. bad for blowing oh, up the toilets. Yeah, he and he went away for a little bit. Now he's back. Now the suit's starting to fit a little better. Mm-hmm. He never stops wearing the suit. His whole life, he's wearing the suit. He's always in the suit. You know what? Uh, Good. And he, this That's is big. where he starts to grow into himself as the fucking maniac wizard. He would become. I'm not the man they think I am. No, no, no. I'm a rocket man. (laughs) He's a rocket man. He's a fucking rocket man. He's a goddamn rocket man. Rocket man. Burning out his fuse out here alone. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Good old Shatner. Yeah, good old. He just went to space. Oh my God, he did. Do you know how... It's because of Jack Parsons that he got to go to space. Yeah. Yeah. Christ. So, you know, as you said, like, despite Ed and Jack and Ed's passion for rocketry, the world was quite indifferent at this time. No one gave a fuck about rockets, except for sci-fi nerds, except for hobbyists. Mm -hmm. Scientific community did not care. When they, they were unpredictable, dangerous as all hell. People were always getting hurt when they were playing with them. And even when they, they did work, they didn't work very well. 
like I think Robert Goddard only ever achieved like something like 62 feet or 92 feet or something like that. Like something really kind of, mm-hmm. huh, you're going to use that to get to the moon. It literally just, yeah, and comes yeah. right down. But there was still like the American. Uh, <laughs> I was just thinking like any art or science or field at its beginning stages, when you're trying to do anything, it's going to be pretty fucking crude. Yeah. Right. It's going to yeah. like not be great. Like imagine, how do you think the first amputations went? Oh, like, <laughs> not great. So, you know, you got to cut people a little slack. No, you of, do. You know, of, of course it's dangerous and unpredictable at first, but that's how you get, you do trial and error and figure out what works. Unfortunately, it does take a lot of danger to, yeah. To get results and to learn what works. I mean, and rockets are, I mean, they are literally just explosives packed in a tube. Yeah, that's pretty much the most dangerous thing that you can get. To just, to just fucking yeet something into the desert. Like, <laughs> it's, it's so, it is the most just like brutish shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's funny. At, at that level, it's just, it's, it's two dudes blowing shit it's up. It's so masculine. You know? I mean, it's, yeah, I mean. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I'm not even, I'm not saying that in like a, oh, men type no, of way. No, no, no. I'm it's, saying it in a, like, that is literally like primal, the epitome uh, yeah, of yeah. masculine energy is like, it's, let's fucking do it. I don't care if it works or not, or if I get exploded, but we, we got to try it. It'll be cool. It's phallic. <laughs> it's phallic. Yeah. You know. It is. Oh, <laughs> rockets are very, the Amazon rocket. Yeah. That thing was a penis. Yeah, dude, they're all, yeah, they're just flying dicks. Yep. Yeah. Flying through space, looking for an egg. Is the moon not an egg? <laughs> Rocket man. <laughs> Burning out his fuse out here, alone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is the moon not an egg? Oh my God, it is. That's the feminine. Oh, that's that's for the next episode. We're gonna get into the flamish shit on the next two yeah. episodes. That's not for this one. How is your script getting longer? That's what I was saying about the weird fucking font shit, dude. I'm like, how it's is the hotkeys? It's the soundboard hotkeys. Every time I hit one, it fucks <laughs> up my script. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at the. Th- I'm, I'm not like, even getting. <laughs> like, did you add three pages in the? No, last it's changing five the minutes. font every time I hit the fucking knocky. <laughs> I'm so confused. Okay. Oh wow. Uh, just like I was worried about, I manifested it. Yeah. So, but in the in the civilian world, um, there was a bunch of enthusiasts. The in 1930, the American Interplanetary Society was founded. Yeah, the head of the American Interplanetary Society, uh, George Pendray, said, and uh, quote, it was our expectation that engineers and scientists would spring to our service if we but called their attention to the possibilities of rockets in an appropriate manner. Uh, as George Pendle writes, they could not have been more wrong. Well, no shit. one fucking cared. Yeah, they were not interested. And that was founded in 1930. We used rockets to win World War II, which was yeah. only... 16 that, years later. Wow. That's yeah. a, a fast turnaround. Do you know what happened in those years? Magic. Jack fucking Parsons yeah. and Ed fucking Foreman. I mean, literally, it is literally that. Like, that is the difference. So, uh, Germany had its own version of the uh, AIS called the VFR, which in English stands for the Society for Spaceship Travel. Okay. And that included young Werner von Braun. Oh, who uh, would later help develop the rockets that landed American astronauts on the moon. Something, something, paperclip, something. Mm -hmm. something. But 
Jack and Ed were actually friends with Von Braun while they were growing up. They were pen pals. And they even talked to Von Braun on the phone, probably on Jack's grandfather's dime. Yeah. Their friendship. Wow, that's a long distance call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Whiteside was loaded. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Foreman, Ed Foreman suspected that he and Parsons were being asked to reveal a little too much of their own experiments on the phone with Warner Von Braun while Von Braun was giving nothing in return. Now, they're mm. kids now at this point. Like, there's no, the Nazis don't even exist yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like not that, but it was still like Von Braun was asking a little too much and giving a little too little. Right. So who knows how much? Because at this you point, like, they were late. Keep things to your chest. Yeah. Well, they were just enthusiasts, you know? Uh-huh. They were just buddies sharing stuff like, we're all about rockets. But it's just crazy that, like, you know, more people know Werner Von Braun's name than Jack Parsons, mm. you know? And, and a lot of people don't know either name. It's true. Look him up. It's not, this episode isn't about <laughs> him. I know I'm done. Yes. Um, but yeah, after that, uh, they severed their correspondence after they were like, hmm, maybe, we're, maybe we should keep this a little too much, yeah. a little closer to our chest. And then it was the year 1929. Remember how I said that Mr. Whiteside was loaded? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, he wasn't anymore. Oh, no. Uh, the stock market crash from 1929 hit the Whiteside family fortune particularly hard. Say goodbye to your long-distance German girlfriend, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, they lost, like, most of it. Shit. Yeah, so they went from... Oh, what a massive change. Yes. Yeah, they went from being completely fucking... All set, Jack, heir to a fortune. Mm -hmm. Rich kid never had to deal with any of real life. Any, any. You don't have to worry about tomorrow or, you know. And then fucking gone. Yeah. It was only two years later that Jack's grandfather, Papa Whiteside, died. Probably related to stress. Uh Uh-huh. 1931, the same year that Jack graduated high school. Mm -hmm. Jack found the perfect part-time job at the office of the Hercules Powder Company in Los Angeles. Hercules made TNT and... That is Dynamite perfect. and all sorts of explosives. Also, his, his interest in mythology. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's going on his little Herculean quest to, you know. Yeah, no, exactly. And, like, despite him sucking at school, he was a voracious reader and loved to learn about the shit he loved to learn about. Mm-hmm. And so when he got to the Hercules Powder Company, he was just asking everybody there about everything they knew and just, like, integrating it. And just becoming a fucking wizard with explosives. Jack Parsons knew explosives better than probably anyone who's ever lived. He's I mean, that's a, a good thing genius. to do if you're if you have a fixated interest in yeah. a specific thing. Yeah, exactly. Expert on it. I know, me too, you know? Yeah. That's why I identify with it. It's like he did the thing. The, yeah. He went all in on the weird thing, you know? But yeah, they used the last of their family fortune to send Jack to like a private school, like college prep school. Mm-hmm. thing that was like really liberal and like really jived well with his style of being yeah proto proto hippie-ish shit going on you know montessori adjacent or some shit it was mm-hmm. LA, you know what i mean and so now he he was going to class and it was going to be great and uh he's learning he was working at hercules powder company and then when he wasn't working at hercules or going to class jack and ed would just be out blowing shit up in the desert all the time. Their working partnership was flourishing. Parsons would sketch drawings of the rocket and prepare the fuel, while Ed Foreman, his skills as a mechanic growing by the day, would build the rocket's outer shell. Helen Parsons, Jack's first wife, said, Ed created Jack's thoughts. He manifested what Jack would say. Robert Rapinski, an automobile dealer in Pasadena who had 
be the dude to later introduce Jack to the writings of Aleister Crowley, said, I quote, I wouldn't call his a forceful personality. You just felt that there was something. I've read about people who burn with a hard gem-like flame. Jack was that kind of person to me, except it was a warm gem-like flame. And so, like, right here, he's doing really well. Yeah. Even though fortune's gone, he's at this good school. He's, well, he's doing what he's interested in. He's doing so. what he's interested in. And it's going to be all right. And maybe he probably, like, is probably maybe feeling like, oh, shit. Maybe he's aware of, like, how he's almost at hard times. But, uh-huh. like, he stood up to the challenge. Right. He enrolled in Pasadena Junior College in the autumn of 1933, hoping to earn an associate's degree in chemistry and physics, but was forced to drop out after just one term. With the Whiteside family fortune in a perilous state, he could not afford to continue. Yeah, fuck it. Yeah. He didn't need um, it anyway. It was at this time, he, he was really disappointed. And yeah. we'll see that he could have used it a bit, not just for his own knowledge, not really not for that, but so that... He didn't get fucking kicked out of his own fucking company and shit. Like, right. He got fucked over in the end, you know? Do you think going to college would have made that not happen? Maybe. If he had had the, like, well, we'll get into that in a very shortly, but he was never taken seriously because he didn't, he wasn't formally educated after high school. Yeah. Well, he was taken seriously enough to be able to work at Caltech without having a degree. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. But it was at this time in 1933 that Jack met his first wife, Helen Northrup. Helen was a fucking saint. She was four years older than Jack. He 18, uh, she 22. Yeah. Uh, they met at a dance, community dance. That's cute. Uh, Helen was initially enamored with Ed or making herself appear to be enamored with Ed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack's persistence and Jack's Jack Parsonness were just too much for her to resist. Helen came from a terribly abusive home. Her stepfather was a fucking piece of shit. Helen was made to do everything at home, work and give all her money to the family. She was also forbidden to date. Fun. She was 22. Uh. Yeah. That's a bit. Sucks. Yeah. Tw- Sucks. 20. That's too much. Helen's a fucking saint. She she put up with a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, she was forbidden to date until Jack came along. Did he See, charm the parents or what? Yeah. The abusive piece of shit stepfather liked the cut of Jack's jib. Jesus you know? Christ. It seemed like he came for money. Yeah. He was well educated and he literally always wore a fucking suit. <laughs> Like, literally all the time. He seemed well-educated, at least. Yeah, I mean, he kind of was. Yeah. He was, but, like, he I don't think Stepfather knew that dude was only interested in blowing shit up in the Arroyo Seco. Right. He doesn't yeah. need to know. He doesn't need to know. <laughs> and, like, we got together. Shit was really good at first. They took astronomy classes together. She was, she saw the dream of space travel, of rocketry. Like, she got it. Mm-hmm. She didn't know anything about rockets and didn't care, but she wanted to learn astronomy. That was cool. And it was, it was actually while gazing at the stars that, uh, that Parsons admitted to her, as he later wrote, he first learned how much he loved you. Wow. Yeah. Oh, and you know what's yeah. so romantic about the stars is that no matter how far apart you are, you can look up at the sky and you're looking at the same sky together. There's a lot of super cringy letters from Jack Parsons. Yeah. All, exactly all about that. the star. Yeah. yeah. Yep. But it's actually, it's kind of funny though, because... Whenever he starts going down that that road, inevitably he just starts writing a love letter to the stars. Yeah. Like, he just kind of forgets that he's writing. <laughs> like, that Ryan's words real true love. Like, once Jack and Helen were on a date, and of course Ed was there too. <laughs> <laughs> and Jack yeah. and Ed got talking about rockets. And 
Jack completely forgot about Helen. Oh, that would piss me off. Um, Been there. And quote, Helen said, I was completely ignored, so I walked home. Hours later, they said, oh, where's Helen? Uh, she continues and says, Jack was always erratic. His mind wasn't on the now. Yeah. It's a very kind thing to say about such a story. Uh-huh. That's a fucking dick move, homie. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah, that it sucks. Is, right? It fucking sucks. Pay attention to me. Dude, Jack's a bad husband. Yeah. Oh. Kind of fun, but a fucking bad husband. Well, can't win them all. No, you can't. But they were engaged in 1934. Jack gave her a big ass ring and alongside of it a pistol to protect it. Because why the hell not? But they needed money if they were to move in together and shit. Like Jack didn't actually have any money anymore. There was no money. But he had impressed the management of the Hercules Powder Company in Los Angeles. And uh, he got a job at the Hercules main plant manufacturing fucking explosives a few hours away. Which meant, yeah, he did have to spend time away from Helen and shit. Away from his his mom and Ed. But he was learning. He was making commercial explosives now. Mm -hmm. And like, (laughs) that shit is crazy. Um, And from there, you know, he would write terribly poetic letters to Helen. Your ring on my finger is like the touch of your hand. And I know your heart and thoughts are with me. If the night is clear when you get this letter, go out and look at the pole star. There it is. Let us make that our star. It is the star of abiding, abiding as our love is steadfast, pointing us the path to the skies. <sighs> Nights may be long and skies may be cloudy, but shining above all, shining above all clouds and, and parting, our star remains, shining clear and bright ab- above, undimmed by time or any of the other little things of earth. Let it symbolize our love. Ad astra per aspera. The stars are our goal, <laughs> and nothing in the outside of the galaxy will keep us from it. Knowing that they don't <laughs> even stay together, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, oh, it's beautiful. It is. It's it, beautiful, but it's he's a bad husband. It's meaningless. They'd be homies forever. Yeah. They would be good okay. friends forever. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Their their love is no symbolized in the. They fucking loved each other. Yeah. They absolutely. The stars forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They absolutely fucking did. And they would do shit like they tried to communicate telepathically and meet up on the astral plane and shit. You know, I mean, they were in Pasadena and the. Doesn't everyone try to do third. that? Yeah. With their. Yeah. Another. But it's like, it's, I only put that, put that there to point out like they did grow up in an environment of mysticism and yeah. like spirituality and shit. Like Pasadena in the thirties was when all of that shit was happening. Mm-hmm. Theosophy fucking, you know. The bad got shit. The I am activity. The I am activity was Sinclair. right there. We got Upton a lot of stuff yeah, we've talked about absolutely. in this time period. Absolutely. 30s in Pasadena and LA were was spirituality central. It mm-hmm. was like the hippies before the hippies, before the beats. Like this was shit was wild. It was like really, really wild. I like uh, like Jack and Helen were well aware of all the philosophies being passed around. They were really into that stuff. They went and saw Krishnamurti talk a couple of times. Um, but uh I like Jack's perspective, the one little piece we have from him on theosophy. Uh, yeah. He was, end quote, disgusted <laughs> by theosophy's talk of the good and the true. Mm. He fucking hated theosophy. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not that I hate theosophy. It's just like, I'm just so glad cool that's that not the shit. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you shouldn't. That's dude. a cool defining characteristic. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, ew, I don't accept that. Mm mm. I will come up with my own definition of good and true. Thank you very much. Yeah, very. He is very much a more more Crowley's camp than those fuckers. But so like, all right, back at the Hercules Powder Company, this shit looks like a fucking hellscape. Like, uh, uh, how many workplace accidents are there? Oh, 
<laughs> workplace injuries. I can't even imagine. Don't I don't expect you to have an answer, but I bet it's. I mean, a lot. He in his letters one. from the Hercules Powder Company, like he writes about how a dude fell on the fucking vat of like liquid explosives before it was like pressed into fucking. Oh God! And uh, he he wrote that he was saved uh, only by God's grace and his sheer rotundity. Did, did the dude make it out? Oh, wow. He just didn't sink. He didn't get sucked into the machine or something. They fished him out. Uh, one day time, to be fat. Yeah, definitely. One time, like, some shit blew up and it just flooded the fucking place with toxic smoke and shit. And, like, Jack just, like, walked in. He walked into the smoke, this, like, acrid, awful smoke. Just it shuts, shuts off all the machines. And then while all the smoke is clearing out, he just, like, finds a clear spot and just, like, takes a nap for an hour. Just amongst all that this all amongst this industrial accident, you know, amongst the chaos. Yeah. He wrote that uh, at night, the landscape around looks like a scene in hell. Muddy molten slag flowing downward, fan like flames reddening the sky. Reddening the sky. Yeah. That is hellish. Yeah. A red sky. You can't get much more hell than that. You really can't. He was getting uh, nitroglycerin headaches all day, every day. Breathing in the fumes from working with nitroglycerin gives you these chronic, awful like migraines. Fuck. Yeah. And that's what he was just dealing with all the time. But like he enjoyed the hard work. He enjoyed the suffering of he it. He enjoyed the headaches. He did. He really did. And I think he wanted to prove himself too. He didn't want to yeah. be the little chubby fucking rich kid. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he wrote the first day he started, he wrote uh, the job started this morning. Hard work, pushing four ton dynamite car over acres and acres. I'm glad it's hard. The iron must come out. The iron must come out. The iron must come out. Um, he still had dreams of going to college, though, and he was accepted by Stanford University, but the cost was too much. Oh, how aggravating. Yeah, and a concern that was new to the formerly super rich family. No one in his family was used to that. Not yeah. his mom, not his grandmother, you know? So, Jack and Ed continued their rocketry experiments in the Arroyo Seco with all their newfound knowledge after, you know, Jack made enough money and he came back to Pasadena to live with Helen. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ed had been working as a mechanic. Okay. Jack had been working as the manufacturing commercial explosives. And so, so after both, he's, so they sort of did they separate for a while? Yeah, yeah. They did their thing. They expanded their skill set, and now yeah. the boys are back together, and they're ready to fucking do it, man. Yeah, they're the boys are fucking back. Plus, and Jack's got a lady. Now. Jack's got a Jack's got a lady. They're gonna get married. Um, Ed have a lady. Ed, had, Ed, Ed, Ed always had a lady. Yeah. Yeah. Many ladies. I'm picturing like Ed should be played Ed by like skin. No, don't you do that to Ed. <laughs> don't do that to him. <laughs> Ed ends up fucking psychologically scarred. Oh, all this. Oh, yeah. Kind of sucks. Or which part of it? I, well, I guess we'll I'll learn about that. Really, just Jack's death and magic mm. in general. He would say, um, just Jack being a wild man. I mean, he would he would say something along the lines to his daughter or his stepdaughter on. Um, on magic it, it's all real and it all works but you have to be you, if you start messing with it like you, you have to you'll destroy yourself. yourself yeah you have to like be slow yeah yes you have to be slow jack parsons was not slow in anything no <laughs> really was not he was just as reckless with his magic as he was with his explosives mm-hmm. it's like really i i will be honest you start doing magic you can put yourself into psychosis. Yeah, it's what it's for. Yeah, it's straight up what it's for. You, and you have to learn how to control that psychosis, especially Thalema. Yeah, holy shit. That's pretty it, much literally so what it is: is controlled 
yeah. like a controlled break from reality. Yeah. And Crowley, especially you get like when, when Jack started experimenting with like voodoo and witchcraft and shit, Crowley was so disapproving, calling uh-huh. it superstition and all this stupid shit. Because at this point in Crowley's life, he was, he was saying that Thalema was all psychological. It's all inside the mind. Ah, oh, until he learned that it ain't. I he, mean, it is. But well, he would oscillate between the yeah. between the two. I mean, I like Lon Milo Duquette's thing. It's all in your head. You just have no idea how big your head is. Like that's the your head you is know, the whole universe. Uh, Duquette nailed it as he often does with that. But yeah, so they do come back with this newfound knowledge. It's like now we're all now it's time to start this next chapter and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. Yeah, boys are reunited. Jack and Helen have a house. Shit's sick. Everything's gonna be all right. And uh, you know we can't get too much into the actual problems of the rockets they were building and shit. I wouldn't understand a word of it right. anyway. And me neither. But like, but the rockets they had some of them had problems. I imagine. I mean, I I took I I took this uh, quote about like the the challenges that rocketry required, and it's just like. Yeah, nice little brief. Oh, I'm sure a shitload of challenges. Yeah, well, it's it's success depends on understanding variations in the nature of the fuel, the speed and power at which it burns, the ability of the rocket motor to withstand the pressures inside of it, and the overall design of the motor, the motor being the thing that holds the explosives. Making a rocket that will fly where one wants it to at the speed one chooses demands a firm grasp of mathematics, chemistry, and engineering. And what about, like, the temperature outside, the... Like, does that have any bearing on it? Sure the weather it does. outside. We're going to touch on that the quite climate, a bit in the episode. The air pressure. Yeah. You know, there's so many factors that would go into it. We're actually, that's going to be a big thing in episode two. Okay. Um, yeah, that very question. But at this point, you know, uh, it requires a firm grasp of mathematics, chemistry, and engineering. Yeah. We've got the engineering. We've got the chemistry. We're missing the math. Uh-huh. Jack and Ed knew they were missing they're missing something. The mathematics. And they were getting right to the point where you start to know enough about something to realize you don't know fuck all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they had an inkling that there might be somewhere close by with people who knew fuck all about something. Mm. The California Institute of Technology is not a normal new university. Founded with nearly religious zeal by George Ellery Hale who is described as a priest of the sun and a modern Zoroaster, Caltech was dedicated to advancing the religion of science. Perfect. Motherfucker even built a temple next to the giant telescope where Edwin Hubble was looking at shit, uh, where a group of dudes in robes, only dudes, would go do dude in robe shit. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Caltech was also a, a product of someone's will, George mm-hmm. Ellery Hale, and it attracted an insane number of scientific pioneers. Einstein, Hubble, Oppenheimer, Niels Bohr, Werner Heisenberg, they all lectured there. So a bunch of big names. Yeah. So those are like, the, those are the, I mean. The biggest names. Einstein's Einstein. <laughs> Hubble was the fucking astronomer, looked at shit and then got a telescope named after him. Oppenheimer was the other dude who, along with Einstein, invented the nuclear bomb. Mm-hmm. And uh, Niels Bohr and Werner Heisenberg were the fathers of quantum physics. Like this is oh, yeah. the shit. The big ones. And at this time, so many other discoveries are being made. The first evidence of antimatter was being discovered on one floor in the cloud chamber, while the chromosome theory of heredity was being developed on another. Meanwhile, Edwin Hubble is looking through a giant telescope and seeing entire galaxies for the first time. Caltech was fucking nuts. Yeah, I'll say. And so it's, you know, it's science, but it seems like magic is being made there. Yeah. And into this 
really ridiculous environment. Walk old dusty Jack Parsons and Ed old Foreman. Dusty. Fresh out the arroyo. Old Willie Dusty. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. It was also like, it was a kind of a LA community center too. Like the public would go there and walk around the beautiful campus and the gardens and like the libraries and shit. So it wasn't out of the ordinary for two dudes to go there. Yeah. You know? They saw a lecture there and someone mentioned rockets and they were like, we got to go ask. We got to talk to that guy. We got to talk to him. We got to talk. They walk in. They're like, hey, we want to learn about rockets. Who do we talk to? And people are like, what? Fuck you. What are you doing? What the hell do you think you're doing? We're busy here. We're doing real science. You don't just have rocket people. Well, actually, we do have this one guy. They pointed Jack and Ed to a graduate student. The only dude weird enough to have an interest in rockets. Like, if you really want to, like, the only dude we have. talk rockets. Just go see Frank Molina. Frank, Ed, and Jack? Frank, Ed, and Jack. What a crew. That makes sense. Yeah. Just makes sense. So, yeah, that was on March 28th, 1935. I like that there's a specific date to that. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad I know that date (laughs) because it's another monumental. It's like Ed Foreman saving Jack from the bullies. Uh That's a moment, right? Mm -hmm. Jack and Ed walking into Caltech and getting pointed to go talk to Frank Molina. Another pivotal moment. This is a pivotal, pivotal moment. I mean, Frank Molina is a, he is a super, super interesting character in his own right. And much more has been written about him than Jack Parsons because. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Because he was the Caltech guy. He was the graduate student. He is the dude that got to get his name on the shit. Whereas Jack Parsons was erased. Okay. Yeah. Now, one of my big problems with the book Sex and Rockets is it does make it seem like they paint this like Frank Molina betraying Jack Parsons narrative. It's just not. That's just not true. Right. It's just not fucking use shit like, oh, there was a whole year where Frank didn't mention Jack in his journal at all. I don't mention any of my friends in my fucking journal. Yeah. A weird thing to do. Like like in his literal journal? Yeah. <laughs> or in his letters to his parents and shit. Okay. And? Like, exactly. Like, and? Yeah. I don't think my friends would appreciate me telling my parents about their business. <laughs> Honestly. No. And it's like, all you're, all you're looking at is they're getting older. Yeah. Yeah. And like, uh, no, that was like the big thing that made me like go, hmm. Right. I don't know about this. I one. mean, surely Jack wasn't erased on purpose because of malicious efforts of Frank's. Certainly not because it's just because that's the way the cookie crumbles. There's a couple bad actors, I think, but it's it's none of the boys. But Frank Molina is also a super interesting character. And I mean, he is seen by the scientific establishment as the plucky youngster who founded JPL. Right. Ah. Yeah. He's the same age as Jack and Ed. He is two two years older than Jack. Okay. He's a. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. He's a he's a few years older than Jack, but he is. So Jack's does the baby have, of the group. He has Jack's exact birthday though, oh. October second. Yeah, uh, Franklin was also born on October second. Wow! So you have to be friends. Yeah. You find someone with the same birthday as you. Either you have to kill them, or you have to be friends, or you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Those are the three options that I present myself upon meeting anyone, though. So. It's true. But yeah, Frank Molina was a super interesting character in his own right. Frank Molina was the mathematician. He was the theorist. He was the smart guy. You know? Yeah. Like, we're better to... He came from a Czech immigrant family, and he was born to two professional musicians. And in this really silly inversion of an old trope, Frank was expected to become a professional musician. And he tried, and then he was like, I, I don't want to do music. 
Yeah. I want to be an engineer. Wow. <laughs> that is an inversion. Right. It's usually like, Mom, I want to play in a band. That's right, exactly. Share my music with the world. Check this out. When he was going to school to become an engineer, he supported himself by being a musician. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> it's the total inversion of the whole thing. Do you know thing. what he played? I don't. I uh, don't. I wish I, I should. Czech immigrant family. He played accordion. I don't think so. I, I want to say, I think it's either a wind instrument or piano. Yeah. Yeah. But Parsons and, and professional accordion player, like yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of gigs available for that. Yeah, right. Like that, <laughs> that instrument is not going to compete with and being an engineer. Yeah. Putting yourself through engineering school. <laughs> <laughs> Put yourself through Caltech. How's it? No, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. But Jack and Frank became fast friends mm-hmm. due to their shared love of literature and classical music. And rockets. And straight obsession with space travel and rockets. Despite their shared interests, shared tastes, and shared birthdays, they were also very, very different people. To put it bluntly, Frank Molina was a fucking nerd. In different ways? In which ways? Let's hear about it. Well, he was just, he was studious. He was proper. He was Well, it sounds like his his parents put a lot of pressure on him to, you know. He came from an immigrant family. Not a freewheeling, roaring 20s millionaire family. Right. Yeah. Not a, you'll be okay if you fall through the cracks. We got right. you. No, Melina no, was... A, you better succeed. Yeah, Melina was a fucking genius. He was a fucking math math genius. And so these guys all start getting to know each other and like, dude, you want to come? Like, we're blowing shit up out in the Arroyo. Like, come on out. Come check this shit out. They start hanging out, talking. Ed never really became friends, like great friends with Frank. They worked together, but he always felt that Melina was judging him. Well, it's like, you know how I feel like there's a phenomenon that when you're hanging out in a trio. Yeah. There's always an odd man out. There's always just two people vibing a little bit more than one other person. There can be. I don't know. And it switch. It can switch off between people. Yeah. It it can be symbiotic, too. But triage can be an interesting dynamic. I think it depends on if you're fucking each other or not. That's true. Can be an it is an interesting dynamic though. It either works really well or it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, in this case, it did for its purposes, but mm-hmm. and I don't, like it's not like Ed Foreman like was like oh, I hated working with. Right. You know he I mean? was just like not as close as maybe yeah. Frank and Jack. Jack was. was close to both of them. Yeah. Jack was the he leader. Was the, in, he in was that, in the middle. He, he was, was the sort of the glue. Point. Yeah. The axis point. And I think that's like the really important thing to understand about Jack Parsons' real role in the development of rocketry. That's really where, like yeah he was a genius with explosives. He did do that work. It was pioneering. The scientific community should recognize him for that. But more importantly, I think, is like the, the metaphysics of where of what he did, where he was yeah. the the heart of the group. Uh-huh. Ed Foreman was the the hands. Frank Molina was the brains. Jack Parsons was the heart. And without the heart, it, dead. everything yeah, is dead. useless. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you gotta have the, the fiery heart. heart of the fucking yep. of the operation. And while they were first getting to know each other, like the topic of Jack and Ed's academic credentials were never discussed. Uh, Frank Molina said, and quote, it seems to me that most Jack had finished high school. <laughs> when I met him, he already had a certain amount of experience with the manufacture of explosives. But I think what was outstanding to me about him was that he was not of any fixed view on which way to go. He had a very flexible sort of attitude. I like that. I, yeah. And in my estimation, it's Jack's flexibility and changeability that was both his greatest strength and his greatest weakness. He is a Libra. Yeah. 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 Very, very reactive to the people around him. Mm. One of those people who will agree with the last person he talked to. Yeah. Yeah. But the three men formed the complete triumvirate. Jack was the chemist. 
Perhaps alchemist is the better word. Ooh. Ed was the engineer and mechanic, and Frank Molina was the theoreticist and Frank Ed. Frank Petition. <laughs> Frank Petition. Frank Petition. He was the theoreticist and mathematician. Oh my God, the engineer. The engineer. And the Frank Petition. God damn it. And the Jalchemist. Okay, no, I, I tried. <laughs> I tried. Moving ahead. <laughs> and these three would form the core of what would come to be known as the Suicide Squad, who would later found Aerojet Corporation and Jet Propulsion Laboratories, and whom, against all odds would change the course of history. And cinema. Oh. Like, Ew. I know. Ew. I know. As soon as I hear Suicide Squad, I'm like, oh, why'd they have to do that? Because the first thing I think of is that fucking movie. Fuck that movie. We're not even going to bring it up again. <laughs> these guys are <laughs> the Suicide Squad. This is where that term they comes from. They are the su- Okay. This is it's the them. Suicide Squad. Yeah. Yeah. This is the first Suicide there Squad. There needs to be another movie made called The Suicide Squad, and it's about this instead. About these fucking guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. Can, can we just wipe the slate clean? Yeah. And I mean, because the thing is that there is, you could go a couple different ways with telling the story. And that's why I do recommend the book Strange Angel to anyone that's interested in this, because there are so many stories within stories here, right? We're trying to tell Jack Parsons stories, right? But there is also the story of the Suicide Squad. There's Frank, Frank Molina's story. There's the mm-hmm. story of rocketry in general. There's the story of the OTO in general. These are all these other, these really sit, like meaty plot lines. There's a bunch of meaty beasts running around here. There's so many meaty yeah. beasts, I don't have enough arrows. And so it was really hard to like trim this script down and shit because there's just so like, what do I focus? Because they were the they were the core three. Yeah. But there were other recurring dudes who we're just not really gonna talk about that much. Yeah. Who because they don't they're not the core triumvirate of of the thing, you know. But despite having this perfect triumvirate and they fucking know it, they still need Caltech to take them seriously. Um it's not easy. Yeah. Really, really not easy. Drafting their first proposal almost broke the group. They were all in agreement that they needed to avoid the whole moon rocket kook label, but they were in extreme disagreement about whether they should first demonstrate theory or demonstrate a working model. Mm, okay. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Okay. In my opinion, demonstrate a working model. You would say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> show, show them the, the pudding. That's what... Don't show them the recipe. Bring bring them the pudding. That's what Jack and Ed said. Yeah. Yeah. Molina said, no, you don't know yeah. these guys like I know these right. guys. Right, yeah. Because Molina, and I don't necessarily have an answer on my side, to which I think. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I can honestly answer it, too, because I know which one worked. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, I understand both sides. I'll say that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Frank Molina worked at the... Guggenheim Aeronautical Laboratory at the California Institute of Technology, also known as GALSIT. GALSIT was a state-of-the-art wind tunnel for testing aircraft that could generate wind speeds up to 200 miles per hour, you know, in the mid-1930s. Really extremely high-tech for the time. So Molina works there. That's what he's doing as a graduate student and shit. So he knows the higher-ups. He knows the guy that runs the wind tunnel. He knows, you know, the head of GALSIT itself, right? What's the wind tunnel for? Testing uh, airplanes. Oh, oh, That's oh what yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's what Galsit is doing at this time. Yeah. Uh, nothing for rockets. They're testing airplanes. At, like engines. Because airplanes have been demonstrated by, you know, two other weirdos a while back, too, who thought we yeah. could do something else stupid and dangerous, and I did it, too. But yeah, so, you know, Frank knew who he was going to have to send the proposal to. Who he's going to have to impress. Yeah. And that's why, even though he was one of the three, he, he won out in the end. Yeah. And so they 
drafted a fucking proposal, don't get to go shoot off rockets in the Arroyo. What the fuck? What are we yeah. even doing this for anymore? I imagine they're like, all right. Well, Frank, you're going to have to help us do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Melina was like, no, you don't get to do the math. Yeah. I do the math. You don't don't go anywhere near this. Uh-huh. <laughs> don't fuck this up, dude. <laughs> yeah, don't touch it. Yeah. Melina also insisted that they stick with static tests, which is where instead of a rocket launching into the sky, it's actually pointed downwards and held in place, and its force is measured by a pressure plate. So some academic... Some academic shit. fucking nonsense. Come on, man. The, the cool part, the impressive part of a rocket is when it goes... And it yeats yeah. itself into the fucking Arroyo. What are you doing? That's what you want to see it do. That's what you're trying to make it do. I imagine Ed just being like, dude, what are we even doing this for anymore? What are we, we going to need this fucking yeah. like, <laughs> But they brought it to... They brought the proposal to Clark Milliken, the professor in charge of the wind tunnel... Who turned it down immediately. Oh. It was just like, Frank, what are you doing? Professor Milliken. No, dude, he was a dick about it. He, he was like, Frank, what are you doing? You should be focused on getting a fucking real engineering job at like Douglas Aircraft or fucking Lockheed or, you know, one of these big fucking companies. Like, what, you're throwing away your future fucking around with these assholes out in the desert. What, are you, what the fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. Milliken insisted that rocketry was impractical, a harebrained idea fit for only Hollywood and thrill seekers, and that Molina should focus on getting a respectable job. Fuck that, though. They, uh, the boy's like, nah, nah, I got another guy. Yeah. And he's like, no, no, I know the guy to talk. i give up so soon. They go behind Milliken's back to another consummate weirdo who we've already mentioned. Theodore von Karman, the head of Galsit itself. Wow, the head. Yeah, he's the head of Galsit. And von Karman is a weird, weird, weird fucking dude. Oh, so they're in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. He's a, the right guy now. Theodore von Karman is a genius, but a maniac. Well, like recognizes like. He lived with his sister, Pipo, in this house that. No. Yeah. Yeah. He, they were from, um, they were Austrian, I think. And they, they surrounded by, to use the word they were using at the time, oriental decorations. Oh. And they were like, they'd have tea parties and dress up in kimonos and shit. And like, okay. probably spoke at opium or some dumb bullshit, you know. And like, it was all decked out in like Chinese. They're the Japanese weebs of the stuff. day. Yeah. Yeah. They wicked are. They wicked are. <laughs> this dude's wearing a beret and he's flirting with all the students' wives and shit. And everyone loves him for it because he's fucking funny old. Yeah. He's just what he does, you right. know? Uh, one one time, Von Karman was given a lecture and he just absentmindedly gave half the lecture in his native German before <laughs> realizing what he did and then realizing that none of his students were paying attention or that like no one had said anything. Yeah. And so he just switches to English without saying anything and just continues. And just and hey, lecture, yeah. yeah. Um, and nobody said anything. No one said a goddamn thing. He was like like the boys, the right man at the right time. Uh, and he had a real soft spot for people like Jack Parsons. Perfect. Yeah, he really loved Jack Parsons. He loved how Jack's mind works, and I think you could see like another that, type of that must have been really nice for Jack too to receive that validation yes. from this like respectable man who yeah. has a, a position of high esteem. And yeah, is very smart and. Man, and there are other people who will play big roles in this. People like Martin Summerfield, another Caltech graduate student like Frank Molina. Fritz Zwicky, who's kind of a bastard in this story. And like a lot of these other guys who were really important in JPL and on all this shit. And Von Karman would still say that the three most important people were him, (laughs) Frank Molina, and Jack Parsons. And that's like a really, really high fucking honor, you know? So they go around 
Clark Milliken's back. Bring the proposal to Theodore von Karman. He mows it over for a couple of days. And he tells him that, you know, while Caltech couldn't finance their bullshit, they could start working under the banner of Galset and, like, conduct their experiments with Galset's blessings and using, you know, they can't launch the fucking rockets there, but they can do the prep work there and they can use all the resources there. They got to pay for it themselves, but they can be the Galset Rocket Research Group. Fuck yeah. So now Jack Parsons and Ed Foreman are doing rocketry work, rocketry research work at fucking Caltech when not a day ago, the official Caltech position on rockets was, that's fucking stupid. Yeah. Oh, Milliken must be like, what the hell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And Jack and Ed do not have college degrees. Yeah. Foreman dropped out. He doesn't, Ed Foreman doesn't have a high school diploma. You know, Mm -hmm. I love this. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, dude, this is fucking insane. It's, I don't know how this happened. Mm -hmm. Just the, the pieces just clicked, you know? So on April 26th, 1935, Jack and Helen were married. Oh, yeah. Helen's here. Yep. We'll get back to Helen. Don't worry. Helen's here through for a while. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep hearing about Helen. Uh, Jack was 20 years old. Helen was 24. And at the end of the ceremony, Jack forgot to kiss his new wife. How do you forget to do such a thing? Forgot to kiss her. Helen said, I turned my face to him and nothing happened. This is like when I forgot to shut off my car at the end of my driving test. <laughs> It's a a bit more than that, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's more than that. It's just like, how could you? It's literally because he was thinking about rockets. Yeah, it's way worse than that. It's literally because he was thinking about rockets. We know what he was thinking about. Yeah. It wasn't other women. It wasn't Ed. It was rockets. You know, why have a wife? Hold that thought. (laughs) (laughs) But they moved in together and Jack got a job working at the Halifax Powder Company. Not ah. Hercules, Halifax. Similar. He was a Hercules. Now he's a Halifax. Yeah. And like their life was really cool. It was awesome. Like they had a great time together. They would, you know, they're taking the astronomy classes. They're doing yeah. all this shit. They would stand out and sometimes stand, stand outside naked, calling to the moon with the cats that lived in the neighborhood, you know, holding hands naked, howling Aww. with the cat. Yeah. Once they adopted an owl. Cool. A tree fell down and they were like, they, they were chopping it up to bring it for firewood. And when they brought a big old piece in, they found that there was an owl living there. Wow. So they just, he just hung out with them for a while, I guess, until he did and got old enough to not, they had a pet owl for a while. You know, they threw parties. Yeah, dude, it's super <laughs> sweet. Like it sounds, when he's not being an edgelord, like. Yeah, Jack when he's not like forgetting to kiss dude. her. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And Helen's a saint. She really is. They were throwing all these parties with like Jack's friends from Caltech and other weirdos, the proto-Bohemians. Uh, that they knew, you know, science fiction writers, socialists, scientists, all these people in Pasadena at this time. Jack would cook up absinthe in his lab. I was wondering what his drink of choice was. Absinthe. That it just makes sense. Yeah. I don't know if I mentioned this, but um, Jack Parsons loves drugs. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. He, he fucking loves drugs. He, I mean, yeah. I figure I was thinking earlier, like, surely they're not just out in the desert sober. At this point, they... Probably are. Okay. Um, more an episode two thing. Jack is a rock star. Mm, he's we a know rocket this, star. Yeah. We know We know where this goes. We know where, what rock stars do. We know what do they do. Sex, drugs, what? and rocket roll. He, didn't, he actually, when jazz came about, he was like, I don't know. I think the world's passed me by. Because he was a classical music guy. 
<laughs> this jazz music is too fucking. He was crazy. slightly before ja- like jazz reached his part of the world. Yeah. So he was like, he was like, ah, I mean, I guess it's kind of cool, but like, have you heard of Stravinsky? Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, he's a classical man. Yeah. Right. He's the him and Molina are like the last of those guys. Yeah. And Dickens and. <laughs> <laughs> At least Molina definitely didn't have that accent. But yeah, like. He was brewing absinthe and they're like drinking absinthe and arguing about politics and and shit in the 30s. All this like doing fucking 20 year old dude shit. They're also building rockets at Caltech, right? Like it's so cool. They're having such a good time. It's so weird that he's only 20. Yeah. Well, this is yeah. There's a lot going on. You know, tw- between 20 and like his early, his early 20s. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude, people did things younger back it's, in the day. Yeah. Right. It just did. Um, yeah. I mean, his wife's 24, mm-hmm. right? He's Jack. Yeah, he's living he's hard and fast. Dude, you know, four minutes the fast, second. Die young, bad girls do it well. That's the story of Jack Parsons. Yeah. Yeah. It really, <laughs> like that, quite honestly. Good God. But like, it was, it, it, you know, it was kick ass. And Frank Molina wrote a letter to his parents. He said, uh, I have found in Parsons and his wife a pair of good, intelligent friends. And I bet they, I would love to be friends with them. Fuck yeah, dude. Uh, These nights sound like the best. Yeah. Hearing about their fucking rockets and the goddamn, like, uh-huh. oh, shit. You're, maybe you're a science fiction writer or like a, just a fucking cool dude. Just a guy chilling and you just, God damn, these people. They're, they're gonna be, they're gonna, these guys are going to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I want to be time, Helen's friend. Yeah. No, me too, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was this time, you know, Jack and Frank started experimenting with the devil's lettuce. Oh, my God. Started smoking marijuana. The reefer. And I'm going to be high. <laughs> As a kite by then. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. You know, it's, it's just, how is it so perfect? <laughs> ah, it really is. That part was awesome, but... Jack's obsession with rockets definitely took its toll on his marriage. Yeah. Right? Like, yes. I'm not shocked. So, since they had no funding, mostly all of Jack's money would go to funding the Gaussett Rocket Research Group. Robert Rapinski, that car salesman I mentioned earlier, who ended up like, he was just their buddy. Yeah. Jack got his first Alistair Crowley book off of this dude. Robert Rapinski remembers Helen, Helen crying on his shoulder because their house sucked, their car sucked, her clothes sucked. And Jack was literally just blowing up all of his money. Yes. He was quite literally, literally lighting it on fire. Yeah. Um, and also, and this is, this is, this is important shit. Jack's manner of dealing with explosives caused her great consternation. His safety standards. Yeah. Caused it. Once when Helen, Jack, and Ed were driving into the Arroyo to blow up some more shit, Helen lifted up the rug in the back. She was, she was sitting in the back. Ed was in the front. <laughs> they had to talk about rockets, you understand? So <laughs> Making your wife sit in the back seat. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, once I had a boyfriend that would have his dog sit in the front seat and make me sit in the back. That's actually worse. <laughs> I can't believe it. At least when you're going to blow up rockets and you're in a car that is probably really loud, probably doesn't have a, a, a top. Yeah. It kind of makes sense so that you guys can talk about what you're about to go blow up. <laughs> <laughs> this other guy school. that's a dog <laughs> <laughs> there were both dogs up there uh, yeah so she lifts up this rug and she finds a bunch of sticks of dynamite underneath she asks if 
it was safe. And Jack just like turns around, grins at her and just like, don't worry, the detonator's in the front. Good. I wouldn't trust him. No. I wouldn't feel safe. No. Once, Jack was heating up and stirring a vat on his lab, which was on his porch. Stirring a vat of incredibly dangerous explosives. Like, yeah. blow up the whole goddamn house, you know. A vat. Vat's a big word. You know what I mean? Not a beaker. Yeah, it's not big. A, not a pan. A vat. Yeah. He's stirring this shit. He gets a call that his grandmother's been rushed to the hospital. He calls for Helen. He doesn't say anything else besides, like, Helen, I have to go. Whatever you do, don't stop stirring. Hands her a wooden spatula and fucking rushes out. Oh, I know. Helen stirred that shit for four hours. Oh, my God. I'd be so scared the entire time. She was terrified. Yeah. She was like, yeah, she was terrified. Four hours of terror. Like, will I? They don't have cell phones. Yeah. She doesn't know what will happen. Or where he is, what he's doing. What will happen if she stops stirring. Yeah. Right. She doesn't know if it'll fucking light on fire and blow up. She can answer the phone. Right. Or if it'll ruin the explosive. Like, she doesn't know what type of emergency it is. Yeah, what, whatever just, you do, don't stop stirring. What will, does that mean? Will it break the experiment and then, oh, you wasted some money or will I die? I don't know. Yeah. Guess I'll just keep stirring. Uh, uh, that's what I'm saying, you know. I love uh, him. I hate him. Uh, I love him. I hate him. Oh, that yeah. would piss me off. <laughs> oh my, yeah. It pisses me off. Yeah. I don't know these people. I'm pissed off for I'm, Helen I'm, for exactly. that four hours of, <laughs> I'm, of stress. I am so pissed off for, for Helen. Yeah. <laughs> and Frank Molina was similarly scared shitless by the way Jack stored his explosives. Just like on his porch, just kind of all over the fucking place. He doesn't Why, care. Jack? Why are you like this? I don't know. I really don't. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. But Helen described their life as, she said, happy, 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 but haphazard. Yeah, I'll yeah. say. But she enjoyed it. Happy is good, though. Like, she loved it. Yeah. Like, they were... She really did. And she she also was into the research. Mm-hmm. She was into it. Like, it wasn't something really put yeah, upon. Yeah, what did Helen do? I I think she was a secretary somewhere. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, she's a typist, you know. She had been for a while. She was very good at it. Okay. Yeah. In 1936, the Gallicet Rocket Research Group's research began in earnest. Now, they, you know, after they started the proposal, they've been having these parties. Mm-hmm. After the, the wedding. Yeah. From the start, it was plagued with difficulties. They had no money, and rocket parts were expensive. They often got destroyed. Um, right. They were, f- like, forced to source parts secondhand, which means they got broken shit a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, you're building it to blow it up. Yeah. Hopefully not. I mean, yeah. the Holy Grail is, like, a reusable launch rocket. And, like, Helen, Helen financed most of it. Oh. She was working all day, and she paid for, like, a lot of the wow, shit. Wow, Helen. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, in exchange for uh, sometimes forcing the boys to don aprons and clean the house from top to pot, top to bottom before that's, she gave them any more rocket money. That's sexy. I like it. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. She was having fun with it. I think she would have been out of there if she was pissed. Mm-hmm. You know, they had troubles and she was eventually out of there. You know? Yeah, I mean, uh, if she's paying for shit at this point, like it's yeah. not like she's reliant upon him and, and needs to stay. It's no. Like, you know. No, she'd be all right. Yeah. Melina, uh, Frank Melina was like, he was trying to teach Jack science and like the scientific science, scientific uh, yeah. method and shit and like trying to get him to learn how to uh, take notes, you know, outlining different fuels, chemical structures, tables, alternatives, blah, blah, blah. And Jack hated it. He was impatient and sloppy. 
<laughs> he just, he just. Yeah, I'll learn it the hard way. No, he just fucking wanted to fucking shoot off rockets. And right. all this science, I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> what? How are, how is there a lyric for everything? I don't know. <laughs> just one of those weird things with this. Yeah. I want to stress here that Jack Parsons, even though he was not a scientist, he hated taking notes. He learned how to do some of it eventually, but he was a fucking genius when it came to explosives. He wasn't just like, he didn't Forrest Gump his way in, into this, you know? Yeah. He really, he really didn't, even didn't though it kind of sounds like it sometimes. <laughs> he fucking knew explosives and he was the best at it. George Pendle has this like, he has a very lyrical passage about in Strange Angel um, about how Jack knew explosions like a symphony he could see the whole thing and the force that it created and the whole mm -hmm. an explosion of chaos of energy and shit which he saw himself in there you know it's uh yeah it's just that's the thing dude didn't have a degree he just had mojo yeah. sometimes that's all you need sometimes it is so what they were working on right now was there's two different types of rockets right mm -hmm. liquid fueled and solid fueled okay Advantages and disadvantages to each. Pee right? and poop. Now we use, yes, pee and poop. <laughs> we use um, a multi-stage solid-fueled rocket now. Mm -hmm. um, liquid fuel is the first thing that people thought you had to use. Piss rockets were the first. Yeah. Thought you had to use the piss rockets. Cause yeah. That's is, what we're used to. Because the pee is stored in the balls. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, with liquid rockets, right, you can regulate how much liquid sprays into a, a firing chamber, like a... Just like a spark plug in a, in a car, mm -hmm. an engine in a car, you can squirt liquid in there, create the exact right amount of fire, and then blow that shit out the ass end and go on your way. What you sacrifice for reliability, measurability, and convenience, accurate, uh, accuracy, convenience, whatever, all the benefits, you sacrifice power and speed and efficiency. Okay. Right? Solid fuels are much, much more powerful. Well, you need a lot of power. You for need a lot role. of right, exactly. At this point, they hadn't even gotten a rocket like a hundred feet up into the air yet. Oh, no, that's not gonna work, honey. No one had. Yeah. Right. By the I end, get things higher. By the end, they will. Uh, oh boy, these guys do do it, and like the, the the max amount of time someone had kept a rocket into the less than thirty seconds. Uh huh. But you needed to pack solid fuel around this tube and get. It was about the recipe of the thing. If the recipe was wrong, it wouldn't work. Right. Like or it could just blow the fuck up if the recipe was wrong or if the mixture. So it, when you're putting it around the cylinder, if it doesn't make a perfect seal around there and then air gets in there and now there's force coming from a different direction. Now the rocket's spinning all over the goddamn place oh, or now yeah. it blows up. So really with a solid fuel rocket, it is the fuel. That's what controls the burn rate. That's what controls because you can't inject the solid. You can't yeah. inject the poop. No, you just right? have to pack it in. You can inject the piss. Yeah. You can't inject the poop and you have to pack it in like a, you know, like an incense cone that yeah. pours out backwards. Uh-huh. That's how Jack invented to do it eventually. Um, oh. And I look, I'm pretty sure I, 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 w I would bet money that it was when he was at Von Karman's house watching his fucking Japanese incense that he bought. That, yeah. Yeah. You. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's that's where the epiphany happened. Um, and he had a lot of other inspirations from like shit like that too, which we'll see. But he, that's Jack's big thing, that he invented solid rocket fuel that actually worked. But right now, 
no one believes that solid rocket, even if you can get a rocket 100 feet into the air, solid rockets will never work. We'll only use liquid. Robert Goddard used liquid. The only people that were experimenting with rockets were using liquid fuel. So that's what they were working on right now. Yeah. That was the big thing. They didn't think their solid rocket tests would ever be worth submitting a paper on or anything. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're building liquid rockets. The work continued, and on October 31st, Halloween, the Gausset Rocket Research Group's first actual yeet that piece of shit into the sky test was to be held. Where else but the Royal Seco, that wild playground of Jack Parsons' youth. Woohoo! On Halloween! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A couple weeks earlier, Jack and Frank had their birthday party and shit. Uh-huh. It was sick. The rocket itself was less than a foot tall. Tiny. Uh, this happened at a place called Devil's Gulch, which is cool. Oh! Yeah. Uh, the rocket was less than a foot tall, pointed downwards on a pressure plate. Despite its diminutive size, the group, which also included uh, Apollo Smith, who showed up because he thought it might be fun, and Rudolf Schott, 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 some German shit. Uh, another dude who just showed up to like, hey, you guys need a hand? I heard you're setting off rockets. Can I, can I, can I help? Yeah. yeah. So right, he's, his in. name is just in the. He would join the group, but he wasn't like part <clears throat> of the. He would leave oh, okay. and then like leave and come back, help out. Yeah, exactly. Apollo Smith would join the group for a while as like a real. He was a Caltech student. But then he wouldn't be there. But then he would be. He's not. There Just is imagining the, like the the revolving door of like RV cast members. Yeah, yeah. No, there is that, and that's like I had to make a, a distinction to be like we're focusing on Frank, Jack, and Ed. Yeah, that's, that's there's the, the triage, but Apollo Smith trio triage is well. There will be triage if they fuck up. Yeah, start blowing each other's legs off and shit. <laughs> and we have Apollo and Rudolph who are yeah. there too. So. They're they're four and five of the group at this point. He formed a pentagon now. A pentagram. Pentagram. <laughs> On Halloween. The five of them, they hid behind a wall of sandbags. This is where the famous picture of these guys comes from, where they're like leaning back. And Apollo Smith is wearing this hat with a propeller on it. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> they're hiding behind a wall of sandbags. This shit's wild. <clears throat> Anticipation and anxiety ran high. This was the moment. This first fucking official Caltech rocket test. So these assholes out in a fucking, out in the desert. Parsons goes up, he lights the fuse, he runs back behind the sandbags. The fuel line snapped tight, pressurized, and then he shit the bed. No. The fuel line blew out of the rocket. Oh. And methyl alcohol started pouring everywhere. Oh it was God. a sad time. It didn't. Came too soon. It didn't. Like, it literally did. It <laughs> quite literally did. Undeterred, Parsons went to replace the fuse and try again. He rubbed off all the alcohol that had spilled all over the rocket, all the rocket fuel that had spilled all over the rocket, and inserted another fuse. He lit it. Jack being Jack, uh, he missed a spot when cleaning up the alcohol. Oh. Um, Uh-oh. The whole fucking rocket, uh, not only was their rocket now not firing, it was on fire. Okay, that's not good. One of the rubber oxygen tubes snapped free and began blasting the now burning rocket with pure oxygen right towards the intrepid rocketeers. To a man, they started booking it away from the failed test as a fucking wall of fire followed them from this thing. <laughs> like basically what happened is the lines whipped open and fucking all the liquid fuel dumped out at once while it was being hit with a line of pure oxygen so it just went oh my god right towards them so they just fucking ran as this wall of fire is following them across the royal hell yeah (laughs) frank terrifying but fun frank molina wrote to his parents the next day he wrote on the whole, the tests were successful. Yeah, I consider that a success. Hell yeah. We survived, so yeah, we well, learned a lot. Fucking, it lit up. There was fire. Yeah. They, they kind of were successful. They did learn valuable information. They did. It's an experiment. Yeah. 
And so they continued the fucking work. And von Karman would, he started to allow them to uh, conduct experiments at, at Gausset itself and not just in the Arroyo. He would soon regret this. <laughs> on one occasion, Frank Molina and Apollo Smith, who is now a semi-permanent member, were siphoning off um, a chemical called nitrogen tetroxide. All you need to know is it's bad business. Kind of mm. sounds it, though. Doesn't it sound like bad business? Yes. Yeah. So it's a highly toxic liquid. So they're siphoning it out of these big fucking vats, whatever, whatever they keep it in. Giant. Some of those like plastic barrels, I'm imagining, like the blue ones. With the, yeah. The top cap and shit. They siphoned it out and they fucked it up. They sprayed down the perfectly manicured lawn at fucking Caltech with nitrogen tetroxide, right? It immediately kills the grass. Okay. Fucking all of it. So you, okay. It, it well, literally You don't want that near you. I wouldn't want it on me. No. Nah. It literally, the grass literally wilts as it gets hit. It turns oh, brown and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the exact same time, literally at the very same moment, Jack and Ed, they're in the uh, Gallicet building. They're building this fucking pendulum, like this metal pendulum. They're going to put a rocket on the swingy part. Yeah. So that they can measure actual lateral, you know, I don't know, maybe that's yeah. the Side the to side, not up and down, but like yeah. lateral uh, momentum or Something Whatever. like that. Lateral movement. Lateral How fast force. it sway How fast it goes side to side. Yeah. Um, so they strap it to a pendulum. And uh, as soon as they lit it, it misfired. No. Something went all foggy. And a fog of nitrogen tetroxide starts pouring out of the of the engine mm. all throughout the uh, Gallicet lab. Mm. This shit, it does to all the Gallicet instruments. Back it, to the desert, guys. What it did to the grass. It just rusts this shit. It's all this corrosive shit. So it just starts eating through all the fucking scientific instruments in the Gausset building. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, so much damage. Yeah. Oh, so many so, objects broken. So much damage. It was incidents like these and the constant whirring, popping, and booming sounds coming from the Gausset building that led uh, the rest of Caltech to derisively refer to the boys as the suicide squad. What are you trying to do? Blow yourselves up? Yeah. It was like, it was, <laughs> you guys trying to die out here? The fucking suicide squad out trying there. Jesus suicide? Christ. No, we're not in, <laughs> I, I always do New York. I know. I mean, yeah. a lot of these guys are from New York. Like, yeah. We're in California, but we're always in New York, baby. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of these guys, these are, there's a lot of Jewish people there. Like, <laughs> hey, we're always there. I know. Any important thing, we're right there. <laughs> <laughs> but like, if they weren't actually conducting good research and getting good results, they would have been kicked the fuck out. Yeah. Thing is, they were getting really good results. So they weren't, were they kicked out after that or no? They had some more restrictions. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Wow, I thought for sure he's gonna be like, "All right, guys." No, they had to like they had to move certain tests back to the Arroyo. They couldn't do oh, it inside yeah. anymore. Um, but no, they were generating enough good research that yeah, you fucked up, but like, hey, we kind of knew that was gonna happen. But like, just do it somewhere else. Yeah, and you also gotta like remember, Jack and Ed are Jack and Ed. Jack's already weird. He's not full blown weird Jack Parsons yet, but uh huh, he's not only is he. I could imagine a, a Caltech student, maybe an English major. No, they don't have English majors there. He's someone working on biology or some fucking thing. That someone who isn't comfortable explosives. They hear about this crazy bullshit happening on the other side of the building. Then they find out that some dude who has a high school diploma at most, and some dude who dropped out of high school, 
what the hell is happening to this school? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. got, people do have to be worried about like the image of that. The optics of that are fucked beyond belief, mm-hmm. but they did good work. And their successes kept impressing the rest of Caltech. Uh, after Melina gave a talk about the work they were doing, a mysterious benefactor, another Caltech man named Weld Arnold, walked up to Molina and offered him $1,000 in funding uh, on the condition that Weld Arnold be allowed to be the official photographer. Well, sure, Weld Arnold, yep. go right ahead. Literally, yeah. <laughs> uh, one day, Weld Arnold would vanish as fast as he came and never to be heard from again. Oh, my God. Well, Who the fuck knows? I don't know. I have no idea. I never asked him about his name. They just let him hang out. Yeah. He was cool. This is Weld Arnold. He just takes pictures of us. Yeah. Basically. They were just really happy to receive $1,000. Yeah. They had money. That was a lot more in 1938. Mm-hmm. Than, uh, now. By early 1938, the group had made their first static rocket motor, which initially burned for three seconds. They had it running for over a minute now. That's a lot longer than That's uh, It's seconds. a fucking lot longer. Uh, there were write-ups on the group at the Caltech paper and even in Time magazine. But curiously, Parsons and Foreman were always, always left out of mm. the write-ups. They would tarnish the yeah. reputation of the project. Too wild. Yeah. Yeah. And this pattern would continue and does even now to a certain extent. Parsons, however, did get recognition in the public eye, albeit under different circumstances, in 1937, when he was called as an expert witness in a car bombing case. That just so happened to implicate the LAPD. He knows about bombs. He sure does. And being this really young dude, this Caltech man, which he was referred to as, explosives expert, he fucking loved it. He like reconstructed this bomb, could tell exactly how it exploded, what it did. He reconstructed it, made a perfect replica of it, got the jury to laugh. He was fucking had him eaten out of the palms of his hands. And he had this, he became a minor LA celebrity for this. And at the... And his testimony ended up putting a fucking corrupt-ass police captain who killed a dude with a fucking car bomb in jail. It was Parsons' testimony that did it. That's one of the coolest things that he's done. Yeah. He crushed it. And he'd be called as an explosives expert multiple times afterwards because he was recognized by society at large as he's Jack Parsons, the Caltech explosives expert. That's who he is. He's like 20-something. early. <laughs> it's crazy. And around this time, like... The regular discussion, the talks that he and Molina would have, the politics talks and shit. Remember, this is like 1938 and shit, right? They're starting to get more and more political, um, especially with the addition to the the coffee groups, the talk and the politics arguing groups, the addition of the ardent communist Sidney Weizenbaum, who persuaded Frank Molina to join the Communist Party. Mm-hmm. He tried to persuade Jack to join as well, but Jack decided against it and stopped attending the discussions. No. Jack did not like communism. He had socialist sympathies, but he... So there's political discourse within the group? Not really. Oh, okay. He doesn't not like Frank being a communist. Okay. He's cool with it. He just doesn't want to be one. Right. He just, yeah, he's just not on board all the way. All right. Yeah. He's more like... But they can deal with each other's... Um, Absolutely. Dis- yeah, disagreements. Yeah, definitely. I think they... That's value. always good. Yeah. It's really good to be friends with people that you disagree with, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I have a, I have a really good friend who has communist leanings and... I have libertarian magical leanings mm-hmm. and we can have intelligent discussions on it while both com- utterly disagreeing with one another. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, it's good. Makes us better people. But Jack didn't really like the Sidney Weizenbaum, like, you know, the communist cult, you know, the, the communist cult recruiter, like. I wouldn't there's, know. There's communist cults. They got, <laughs> yeah, communists can know. get culty about it. It's kind of, it's like, I kind of stop, 
kind of stop being able to hear what you're really arguing about. Yeah. Just telling me how good a fucking jumpsuit would look on me. It would. <laughs> <laughs> and also at this time, 1938, the Weld Arnold money was running out after a year or two. Yeah, right. It's a thousand dollars can really stretch so it, far. It funded them well for a bit, but now it's running out. Yeah. And while there there'd been progress, this is sort of like in 1938. I mean, really, what's happening is World War II is on the horizon, right? Yep. Everyone knows it's coming. Some or something bad's fucking coming, right? Hitler's already Hitler. And so like the between the, you know, in those couple years, it went from, oh, all things are possible. You know, well, maybe Germany's getting a little weird, but yeah, it's all going to be great too. Oh, weird shit's happening. Oh, maybe we're not going to the moon in our lifetime. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Shit might get bad. Huh? Oh, God. Mm. So there's this, there's an, a kind of immediate shift in tone, you know? And also at this time, like, well, Molina and the other Caltech-approved rocketeers like Apollo Smith had real careers to fall back on. Jack, Ed, and Helen were all in on rockets, for better or worse. Yeah, this is a thing that they've been doing, like, their whole lives They have, pretty much. The three of them have nothing else. Like, Helen's yeah. financed this motherfucker. Jack and Ed have nothing else. Jack felt adrift. He didn't know what the hell was going on. Uh, Molina was spending more and more time with the communists. I think Jack was getting depressed. He started, you know, he spent some time lecturing and hanging out at the Los Angeles Science Fiction Society, lecturing it about rockets and impressing the super young, super nerdy science fiction writer bros that were hanging out there. Because yeah. he was a rocketeer in a fucking suit. Tell him about the bombs he made in the desert. I'm sure he's very cool to them. He's very cool to them. And this is when, you know, he, well, he was hanging out with like Ray Bradbury, Robert Heinlein, uh, Grady McMurtry, who will hear about in later episodes. I only know Ray Bradbury. Robert Heinlein, yeah, a science fiction fans would know uh, Robert. Yeah, I'm sure someone out there is like. But yeah, I mean, Ray Bradbury is a very famous. Yeah, yeah, he was it was in the same circles and shit. Um, And this is when Jack and Helen began exploring mysticism a bit more eagerly. In 1939, Jack and Helen were invited to attend the Gnostic Mass at the Agape Lodge of the Ordo Templi Orientis, or the ODO, a magical order devoted to Thelema, the religion uh, founded by Aleister Crowley. The friends who invited them there were John Baxter, who had a crush on Jack, and John Baxter's sister, Frances, who had a crush on Helen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, his sister, Frances, had a crush on Helen. Yeah. I that's totally the, that's the, out of the, that's the that's whole cute. part. Yeah. Oh, I stand that. Oh. Don't fuck with the, Stop. I'm. <laughs> Don't do that. I There's do. There's no need. There's no need. I hope Helen had her own little rocket romance in the background. Oh, oh no, no. Helen, Helen is fine. Yeah. Yeah. Hel- no, Helen's good. I just like imagining that her and Francis had like a whole thing. But of course they didn't. No, I don't it's think so. It's just a cute idea. Um, no, Helen. Helen makes out OK. Yeah. She, yeah. She stays with Jack the whole time. I imagine she stays loyal. No, I mean, they fuck. They fuck around when they get oh, into cool. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the whole thing. Like, right. it's not the whole thing with Lemon. Actually, Crowley was kind of fucking pissed that Jack turned that into the whole thing. <laughs> that's why Francis invited them. Um, this. Well, this is OK. This this leads me into the next paragraph, which is uh, now we can't get too into the history of the OTO here and the whole magical shit here. Uh, yeah, but they'd be group sexing. We're going to get more yes. into all that. Or no. Like, like, yeah. But okay, like not, cool. it was not, but not like, they're not fucking animals, you know? <laughs> I don't think so. 
like root like what is like it, what literal is it? animals i don't know i didn't was, I, I would hope not people definitely thought they were at the time they were wow. well because i mean sex magic was a big part of the land mm-hmm. um yeah and like you know the proto-bohemian shit uh-huh around. so they were like a lot of the, like the real thelemites really kind of got fucking pissed when it eventually turned into just like fuck parties right parties and shit they were like that's not what it's about so like Sex is a big part of Thalema, but to reduce it to that, as many people have done, is not the right thing to do. Well, it's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. Yeah. Right. Although, like, but sex is a very important part of that religion. But I I just think it's funny that John and Francis, right, they invite Jack and Helen on the basis that they both have crushes on them. Yeah, no, it's hilarious. Like. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's It's a bit on the nose. Well, yeah. It. It is. Like, would you like to join this group and maybe expand your horizons? Oh, dude, here's the thing. The whole, the OTO in this story, it's so fucking on the nose. Yeah. Every, everything in this story is so on the nose. Mm -hmm. It's like very, like, oh, of course. Yeah. Of course you got the three heroes. Of course you got the stalwart and caretaking wife. Yeah. Of course you got Master Splinter in the form of a mustached Austrian man. Who takes a, he likes the cut of your jib and gives you the lab. Of course you meet the fucking weird sex crazed wizards. Yeah. It's like, it's too, it's too much, really. It's like, what the fuck? It's just enough. It was too much for Jack, eventually, in the end. Yeah. It re- like, yeah. Um, yeah, so, like, now we can't get too much into the history of the OTO, but it is fucking fascinating and silly in its own right. A little bit about it. And this is, we're getting close to the end here. We're really going to talk about the magical side of things in the... You know, this stuff about the OTO, Crowley as this weird character just in England writing letters and fucking with people's lives all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, creepy old Carl Germer just kind of spying on people and reporting back to Crowley. Um, but briefly, the OTO was initially a quasi-Masonic order that had nothing to do with Aleister Crowley. Uh, then Crowley published the Book of Lies, and the leader of the OTO was aghast because it seemed like Crowley had stolen and then published their most secret shit. I believe it was about, it had something to do with sex magic. Uh-huh. Um, the head of the OTO like, went to him and was like, are you fucking serious? Something to do with liquids and solids. Um, Crowley had no idea what the hell they were talking about. Like, what, <laughs> you, what are you fucking talking about? Yeah. Uh, and the head of the OTO, you know, because Crowley came to those conclusions on his own, he said. And then the head of the OTO was like, well, look, okay, well, here's the thing. You just have to be initiated and we initiate you at the highest degree. And now you're just like, well, you just got it, right? Because you have our shit. Like, I don't know how you got it. Yeah. You know, it doesn't seem like you stole it. You just figured it out, but like, because you know it, like, we just got to initiate you and then bring you to the highest level immediately. Mm-hmm. So they did. And then Crowley basically staged a coup. He Harold Clem to this motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> this is my, yeah. this is my um, religion now. He did. He literally completely overhauled it, turning it into a vehicle for his own religion, Thalema. Uh, where they was, basically gave him permission to. They straight up did. They gave him the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. And not just his own religion of Thalema, but his own particular school of ritual magic. The Agape Lodge in L.A. was the only lodge in America. There was a Vancouver Lodge, and it was founded quite literally to get money out of rich Californian dudes. Brilliant. The the RMWs, as Crowley referred to them, the rich man from the West. And like too many Thelemites, I know I fucked that up, and I'm sorry. I only got so much. There's only so many hours in the day. Yeah, we can't. It's a Jack story. I'm interested, though. So like, I don't know. I want to hear about it. Talk to me. I'm, I'm open to learning more about things I fuck up always. As I said, the next two episodes are going to be more full of magic and Crowley and weird bullshit than anything else, so don't worry. But 
At this point, Jack and Helen are in the dabbling phase of Thelema, going to the Gnostic masses once in a while, shit like that. They were both already interested in mysticism, and he was even already familiar with and a fan of Aleister Crowley. And for, for someone whose true will seemed to be the reckless and unconstrained expansion and sometimes destruction of the boundaries of consensus reality, who already understood the drive to make the impossible possible, Jack must have felt a sense of serendipity at his introduction to the world of magic. Yeah, I, th- I think he probably really liked it. Yeah. Both magic and science, he wrote, and quote, open up a seemingly boundless vista of possibilities to him who knows the causes of things and can touch the secret springs that set in motion the vast and intricate mechanism of the world. Beautifully put. Fuck yeah. Jack's a good writer. When he's writing for other people and he's writing weird second person shit to himself, he sucks. So like, yeah, cut him some slack. Because it's not supposed to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At the Gnostic Mass, Jack and Helen would meet the high priest of the OTO, Wilfred Smith. Wilfred is about 10 years older than Jack and Helen and would become a pseudo-father figure for Jack during this time. When he wasn't the high priest of the Yapi Lodge of the Ordo Templi Orientis, Wilfred Smith worked as a gas station clerk. I love that. Mm-hmm. And it seems like most people either found Wilfred either entirely charming or completely repulsive. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. That's a vibe. It's a vibe. It's sleazy magician. That's a vibe. A sleazy gas station magician, yeah. Jack seemed to oscillate between these two impressions, but always ended up settling back on Charming. So, by the end of the 30s, war drums were sounding, Second World War was inevitable. Jack and Von Karman realized the only way to get more funding for their work was to convince the military that they needed rockets, despite every member of the Suicide Squad having serious philosophical opposition to working with the military. Yeah. World War II was the first war to be fought with real, actual air power. It was the potential for weaponizing the skies that ended up giving Jack and the Suicide Squad the break they needed. Now that mm. Arnold money had run out and shit. Von Karman had Frank Molina write up a proposal to the National Academy of Sciences for what they termed jet propulsion. The idea is fairly simple and hilariously brutish. Really long runways kind of suck for being able to project air power across the world. Like, a plane needs a really long runway at this yeah. time. A really long, you know, length to get up to speed. That means you can't really build air bases fast. They have to be built in very particular places. If you could shorten the runways, in order to shorten the runways, or if you could shorten the runways, you'd be able to build many more air bases much quicker. Mm -hmm. In order to shorten the runways, you need to make the planes go faster from the ground. Yeah. How do you do that? You strap a bunch of motherfucking rockets on those planes. Yeah. Yeah. You strap some fucking rockets on on, on a plane. Call it jet-assisted takeoff or JADO. Ah. That's the proposal that they wrote to the National Academy of Sciences, uh, taking planes and strapping fucking rockets on them until they go fast. And that's where jets come from. Oh. That's jets. That's what jets are. That's a jet engine. Okay. It was invented right here. It was their their idea. Jet-assisted takeoff. I guess I never really thought about the difference between a plane and a jet. Jet got rockets on it. Yeah, I literally <laughs> never thought about it until just now. Yeah. Jack Parsons. There you go. Fucking jets. And so they, the thing is like, the liquid rockets were the things they were like publicly working on, right? Mm-hmm. It was the solid rockets that were like Jack's baby, the solid rocket fuels, the packing literal explosives around a tube. So in a research paper to the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics, Parsons like wrote about the other research that they hadn't told anyone else about yet, mm-hmm. the solid rocket shit. Um, 
And he reported that these solid rockets they made reached velocities of 4,875 miles per hour, thereby demonstrating the potential of solid fuels to be much more effective than the liquid types primarily preferred by researchers like Goddard. Yeah, that's fucking fast. Yeah, it's fucking real fast. Like they... Could they control it totally? Yeah, yeah. not Can you quite. Control where it's going? Yeah, not not quite. They didn't mention that. Yeah, fine. but I can and go fast, especially with a plane, dog. Yeah. A plane, a plane can go left and right. You yeah. can just get the pilot to control. You don't need to control it as much. You know, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. But the the American Institute of Aeronautics fucking loved it, and the Suicide Squad became Gausset Project Number One. The first government-sanctioned rocket research group. Suicide Squad on the up and up. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, war. Yep. They received, <laughs> yep. Straight up. And, like, yeah. these guys must have felt so conflicted. Melina was a fucking communist and a pacifist. Parsons was a pacifist. They didn't like this shit. They weren't yeah. okay with it, you know? Um, they received two grants for a total of 11000 for the research, although a quarter of that uh, was spent repairing the damages they caused at Caltech. Mm-hmm. And then once after they wrote up the proposal, like they just got that for the proposal right. just to write the shit. When it was done, they highballed them. They asked for $100,000 to make it happen. Yeah. They got twenty two. Okay. <laughs> but it was more than they thought they'd get. Right. Get a highball. See yeah, what yeah, you yeah. get. The dream was more alive now than it had ever been after like the, the specter of war had, had dampened it, right? So the government's behind them? They are the first- Government-sanctioned rocket research. Oh, you boys have come a long way. They're not even like it's. Jack, you've come a long way from getting kicked in the halls. Yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like and rocketry. When they started, they were a wrong sentence away from getting laughed out of Caltech. Yeah, they weren't taken seriously. Now the government's fucking paying for this shit. It's wild. In a couple years. Awesome. Jack just blew that shit up so good. (laughs) He, He blew. He blew up. Ed, Ed Foreman made those fucking wings so good. Frank Molina mm. did that math so good. Mm. Von Karman tapped his fucking cane and master splintered around. Good. You know, Jack's got... These fuckers are now bona fide. Yeah. Jack's got money. His work has not been in vain. He's found a group of real weird fucking wizards who we'll get much deeper into next episode. At this point, things are really looking up for Jack and his intrepid band of heroes. Yeah. Which, for someone with a likely undiagnosed bipolar disorder is a perfect place for things to start going completely off the fucking rails. Oh, no. Which is where we'll pick back up next week with Jack Parsons Part 2. A lot of Crowley, a lot of magic. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Crazy shit, dude. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I look forward to learning more next week. I look forward to learning more next week, too. <laughs> no, I've already done the learning. Now I just got to do the writing. Got to do the teaching. Dude, got to do the teaching. Okay. Fucking A. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Come back next week. Please do check more. check us out on social media at yes. The Nonsense Bazaar. We got Instagram. We got Twitter. We got yeah. Facebook. Willow Truman. Yeah. I'm on there too. I'm on there. Like trying to get better at the Twitter. Yeah. I'm not good at it. I don't like it, but. <laughs> I don't mind it. Interact with me. I like it. I, I, that's the thing. I, I interact with me. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> talk to me. I want to talk to people. Yeah. Um, All right, guys. Is an island, you know. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, give us a rating and review if you like what we're doing and come back next week. Learn more. This is a fun story to be in for a while. Yes. Hell yeah. All right. Peace, guys. See you next week. Bye. Bye.